Come on, everybody, it's the inside trip. So crack a high life and take a sip on that T-I-T. Get up and scream, and you can spell it backwards. You know what I mean. Your boy Brando in the house tonight. Gonna lay it down smooth and keep it tight. When Ben Watson gets on the mic, you better get ready because he brings the hype. It's about that time you already know that nasty trip, this nasty flow. The inside trip that is the show. Don't wind up on your back, bro. Uh, what's up, wrestling fans? We are back. It's the Inside Trip Wrestling Podcast coming at you with episode number 73, post-holidays, post-holiday tournaments. I guess that's probably it. Post Malone. Post Malone. Beer bongs and Bentleys, baby. That's right. My name is Brandon Olinger. Joined with me, as always, is number one fan man, number one co-host, all-around ladies man, Ben the Law Watson. What up, what up, what up? Also joining us today... Special guest, none other than Earl Smith of The Open Mat, former host of the Sudden History Podcast. We need another one of those. Hasn't been put out in a while. Earl, how you doing, bud? Um, I'm excited to be back on the mic and uh, just happy to be in uh, Ohio. We're going to see a great dual meet this evening. Heck yeah. Listen to the, listen to the sweet tones of Earl Smith's voice, baby. Sweet tones. You might even say the dulcet tones of oh. earl smith all right all right i don't even know what that means all right as i said the inside trip wrestling podcast this is episode number 73 um we're gonna have a good time today we got yes, earl sir. in town earl in ohio he loves ohio he's gonna give us a big ohio today um in town for the for tonight's buckeyes versus the uh north carolina state wrestling match um had a great time out last night with us and the ladies uh, um yeah. But first, we're going to talk about some of the happenings in college wrestling that's gone on the last couple of weeks. A lot of stuff's gone on. Uh, but before we do, let's just cover that weekly business that we always have. This is the Inside Trip Wrestling Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Inside Trip One. Go out there, give us a follow, chat with us, BS with us. We love it. We've got an email address if you want to send some emails to us. It's the Inside Trip One at gmail.com. Tell us what we did wrong, tell us what we did right. Just Tell us whatever you want to tell us. We don't care. We love hearing from you anyway. Um, as for the podcast itself, if you're listening to us already, you know how to find it. But in case you stumbled upon it by accident as you were flipping the pod bean, you can find it at all your typical podcast locations. Stitcher, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, the pod bean, whatever else is going on out there. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. We always forget SoundCloud, and that's where we actually host it. Yeah. Um, so go out there. Find the podcast, subscribe, download, listen. If you're feeling saucy, maybe a bit froggy, leave us, leave us a rate and a review. We love rate and reviews. Hey. Especially them three-star reviews. Them three stars, baby. That was an excellent intro. Top five intros this month. Oh, I like it. Yeah, baby. I like it. All right, guys. Let's talk to some wrestling because we got some. Yeah, we're going to talk to some wrestling. A lot's been going on. As I said, post-holidays, which means post-Midlands, Post scuffles. We also got that um, that ever growing dual meet event going on down in South Beach. The South Beach duels. Man. I'd love to be on South Beach in the winter time. What South Beach is nice. Oh, I bet it is. Yeah. What do you mean by that? It's nice, man. Girls wear thongs down there. <laughs> <laughs> so saying that, you know what I'm saying? Hey, by the way, <laughs> if we're going off track a little bit here, and it's not about anybody wearing a thong, but um, there is a wrestler whose last name is Tiongson. Do you know who I'm talking about? 
Yeah, his first name's Dale for Princeton, 165 pounder. Exactly. And every time I see it, I always think of Cisco's thong song. I want to call him Dale Thong Song. Let me see that. Thong, 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 thong. I guess he's been named now. <laughs> Dale Thong Song. Love it. All right, boys. So um, let's just kick it off. Let's just jump into the Midlands if you guys want to. I think um, there's so much to kind of break down after the last couple of weeks. We've seen um, the unbeatable get beaten. We've seen guys jumping to different weight classes thinking that's a better fit for them, maybe for national title hopes. We've got a team like Oklahoma State who's got all kinds of lineup changes going on. They've got a great problem to have, you know, from a coaching and a team perspective, but there's definitely some lineup battles going on in there. Um, But first, let me get your thoughts on this, both of you. Typically, Midlands and the Southern Scuffle are the, the premier tournaments of the season outside of Cliff Keen. Um, but it seems like the last couple of years, they're starting to get a little watered down. Um, what are your thoughts? How, how is the South Beach Duels impacting these two tournaments right now? Well, uh, we talked about this last night. Um, if you're looking at two years ago, the, right before the South Beach Duels started, the top five teams at the Scuffle were Minnesota, Lehigh, Oklahoma State, uh, Northern Iowa, Cornell was in there as well, and uh, Missouri. And I think four of those teams were at the South Beach Duels, uh, as well as Virginia, North Carolina, kind of staples of the scuffle as well. So you throw those teams back into the scuffle, and it's, it's kind of nasty like uh, we think of the scuffle from four or five years ago. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, obviously, yes, exactly. And, and then even on top of that with the Midlands, um, I think this year's Midlands, we're missing teams that we typically see there. Michigan, Arizona State. Um, I don't think Rutgers was there this year. Typically, they're a team that competes at, at the Midlands. Um, there's got to be some others we're missing here. Look, I think that uh, – and, 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 and your, your point is extremely well taken. The, the bottom line is Midlands ain't the Midlands it used to be. Scuffle ain't the scuffle it used to be. Now, the Midlands had more of a history, you know, um, a story-type tournament. You know, I mean, that's – I don't even know when it started. Was it in the 60s or something like that? Or? Was this 57, 56, something like that? Earl and Brandon said that. You know, so that's obviously got a lot more. But the scuffle came up, right? What we see now, I think, is, hey, a lot of these teams go to Cliff Keen. They get their grinder out early. You know, they get the meat grinder out early, get that multiple-day weigh-in, tough nationals-like atmosphere. Over the holidays, do you want to go – if you go to Cliff Keen, do you want to go to another semi-type Cliff Keen tournament and get beat up? No. So I think that's the impetus of the South Beach Duels. They went there, and in turn, it waters down every other tournament to make them tough tournaments, you know, but not, not, not even close to what they used to be. They're shells of themselves, which actually might not be a bad thing for the athletes. Um, I, your last point right there, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, from a coaching perspective, from a team perspective, I think everybody can agree that the college, the D1 college season is a grind. A lot of people think the season is too long as it is, that it should be a one-semester sport. It is. So these guys start battling in November. A lot of times they're battling in open tournaments in November. They get into December. You know, you've got a very, very tough field at the Cliff Keen where uh, half half the college teams go to. Um, then we get into the holiday season. These guys are already beat down. They're, they're wore out. They're, they're, they're nursing injuries right now. So Probably at the end of their first peak tra- training cycle. Completely you know? agree. So it's kind of a – as a coach, 
it's a very fine balance, balancing act that has to be performed. You want your guys to have a break, obviously, heal up, but you won't want them to go too long with a, with a break without wrestling. So I actually like the South Beach Duels. I think what it does is, one, it gives kids a little vacation. Let's go to warm weather. Most of these kids are competing in cold weather areas. Get them down to Florida. Get them some warm weather. A little relaxation. They don't right. get to go home over Christmas break like average students do. They've got to cut weight. They don't get to eat the same things that all these other people do. You know, at least take them to, um, you know, South Beach, you know? Yeah, I, I, you know, absolutely. Uh, on top of that, um, we're talking a dual meet format, so guaranteed matches. It's a two-day format, so you're still weighing in two days in a row, just like you would at a tournament, okay? You're still weighing in two days in a row, but it's a dual meet format, so you're getting guaranteed matches. And on top of that, if you've got a guy, if you've got a starter who's been battling hard but nursing injuries, get him a match or two, and if you want to throw a backup in, you can do that as well. Get somebody else some experience. So I actually like it. I like it from a college wrestling perspective and what it does to help kind of break up that grind from you know, that some of these kids go through. But at the same time, let's face it, it is watering down some of our favorite tournaments. Right. And duels are great, right? I think duels are fun to watch. You can sit down. It's easy. You pick a team to root for. You pick, pick your guys to root for and go. It waters it down, but here's the thing. For fans, it's not as great, but I think for the wrestling, for wrestlers, it's good. And I think that's what you're kind of trying to say. For the wrestlers, I think it's good. It benefits them. For the fans, yeah, we would want Scuffle, Midlands, and South Beach Duels to all be one tournament. But you know what that's going to be? It's going to be the NCAA tournament, guys, and we're going to get there. Okay? We'll get there. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Earl, you got any final thoughts on that one? And then if you look at the schedule for both days, 11 and 1 are the dual meets. So there's a lot of downtime afterwards. If I don't know. You need to cut weight in between day one, day two, hang out at the beach, do whatever. You know, so it's, it's pretty cool. I like it. And I like that you have some of these teams that don't normally see each other. Like we're looking at it right now, like, say, Purdue and West Virginia. They can meet on a neutral site. And, uh, you know, cuts down on travel expenses. Uh, Cornell and Wyoming, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, you know, when are those guys going to meet each other? Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the – even I'll go back to one of – you know, just one of the great things for the student athlete is the fact that these guys don't get to go home during this time. So unlike guys that are competing at Midlands or at the Scuffle, look, they go there, they compete, tournament's done, they're booking out. Nobody's spending some time in Evanston, Illinois. Nobody's spending some time in um, uh, down in Chattanooga, Tennessee – but you take these kids down to South Beach, down to Miami, they get a couple of great days of wrestling, and then you give them a few days of a break just to enjoy themselves down there. And I think it probably goes a long way, you know, at least relieving some of the mental stress, you know, that the season brings to a lot of these kids. So I'm very curious to see how this continues to grow and how it continues to impact these tournaments in the future. You know, I think that Tom Ryan could would think about sending, going to South Beach before he would think about going to Scuffle or Midlands. He, I mean, I, I know he's big on not wrestling kind of over the holidays, but if he was going to, I bet he would go to South Beach. That would be kind of cool to see. Yeah, I agree. I, it, and it, again, that's a team right there. You know, Ohio State's one of those teams where they compete at Cliff Keen. They may have a duel after that, like, if, you know, the week after that. But then we really don't see them again until after the new year, like today. Today we're going to see them against North Carolina State. It'll be the first time they've competed since, what, December 9th-ish, somewhere around that point in time probably. Yeah, maybe ninth, sixteenth. I don't know. So, um, all right, glad we could cover that, guys. Let's jump into the Midlands. And I think my starting out with the 125 pound weight class, uh, we have to. I think this was probably one of for one. It was a great weight class 
for the Midlands. I mean, you got the number one and two guy in the weight class, Spencer Lee, Sebastian Rivera. You've got a, an amazing uh, freshman and Patrick Glory from Princeton competing in this weight class. Then you got a lot of solid guys as well. Piotrowski, um, Connor Brown from Wisconsin, um, in addition to others. Um, Jacob Schwarm for Northern Iowa, can't forget about him. The unbeatable. The guy that we thought was unbeatable. And I think it's hard to say somebody's unbeatable because we see how hard it is for guys not to lose a college match. You know, I thought Zahid Valencia was unbeatable. We just saw him lose a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I think the majority of college wrestling fans thought Spencer Lee was the next guy that wasn't going to lose another match in college. Um, and we saw it happen. We saw it happen, and we saw it happen in convincing fashion. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I was one of those people. Um, this weight class, it didn't have a lot of intrigue for me before the Midlands. I kind of was just writing off Spencer Lee, getting another title this year, dominating the field. But it, it makes a, things a lot more interesting. And uh, you mentioned Patrick Glory. You know, he had he – had, he's coming around. He had a tech fall loss to Spencer. Now he lost – six points in the semis so you know I think he's still gonna improve and uh, close the gap and I think he's gonna finish highly as well at nationals that's it's funny you said that because I was gonna ask you both um, and since you brought that up we might as well just go ahead and cover it right now before we get into uh, breaking down the Rivera versus Spencer Lee match Um, Patrick Glory is having a great season right now. I think he's got two losses on the year, both to Spencer Lee, okay? And if I'm not mistaken, his second loss, which was in the semifinals at Midlands, he did close that gap a little bit there. Oh, he, he closed it big time. Now, I'm not sure. I, I want to look up his, uh, his matches right now, um, and you guys may know this off the top of your head. I'm not sure what his marquee wins are up to this point. I think a Travis Piotrowski win. I think he beat Schroeder. Is a good he? win for him. Um it, Devin Schroeder, he opened up the season with a major decision over Devin Schroeder. I don't think he really has any, what we would call, standout marquee wins just yet. But he's dominating all the guys that he's wrestled. He's scoring bonus points in bunches. Um, Is he a legit contender for a podium spot at this point? Would you guys consider him a legit, true freshman contender for a podium spot in March? Oh, I think he's going to get on the podium. Just the way I've I've seen him wrestle... um... He, you know he he can ride, which I think is it's that's important. Okay, that's important for the ability to not only ride, but he also turned a really good, a, an excellent elite wrestler. So yeah, I I would be surprised if he doesn't get on the podium, because you know this weight class it it's got it's top heavy with uh, Lee and Rivera. You know Ronnie Bresser you can throw in there too, but after that you have to throw Bresser. Yeah, after that, I, I think all of those people, the next probably eight wrestlers can beat him. Each can beat each other. I like the point that Earl made um, a little bit ago that prior to the Midlands and the scuffle, 125 was a weight class that didn't have a lot of intrigue to him. I think now we have that intrigue. On top of, we got a new number one ranked guy at the weight class, Sebastian Rivera. You throw in Jack Mueller's red shirt being pulled. He's been nothing but phenomenal in the matches that he's wrestled since then. You've got Rivera, who offensively is probably one of the best wrestlers on his feet in the country right now. Um, and then you got the guys, the Sean Russells, uh, the Zeke Moises, Ronnie Bresser. So I do think they're starting to be that intrigue right there. But with that said, regardless of what just happened at Midlands, are we betting against Spencer Lee at this point now in March? 
No, I still I still need to see more. And luckily, we do have a dual meet between Iowa and Northwestern. I imagine we'll see them at the Big Tens as well. So we could have two more previews of uh, what to expect for the big show in March. But no, I'm not uh, betting against Spencer Lee at this point. What about you, Ben? What are you thinking? No, I'm not betting against him. He's 3-1 and one against Sebastian Rivera, right? He beat him twice last year. Beat him... Uh, no, he didn't wrestle this year. So he's 2-1 and two and one against him. Right. Okay, so... Look... I, I'm not... There's no excuses being made for Lee here, but he didn't look himself, right? I mean, I think we can agree that he didn't look like the Spencer Lee that is typically very dominant. Even against Patrick Glory, he got out to a 12-0 lead again, um, in the first period and then shut it down and got ridden like a dog for... Ridden like a freaking mule for two periods. Um, I'm not sure that that's the best version of Spencer Lee, and I think when we see the best version of Spencer Lee, we've seen that he can beat Rivera. Now, Rivera's closed the gap. No doubt about it, Rivera's closed you the gap. You can't deny that. No, Rivera looked great. I mean, he scored three takedowns against Spencer Lee, three different types of attacks, three different types of finishes. He stuck with his finishers when things could have been stalemated, and he kept on working to get them, so he worked hard to get those, and you know, he rode as tough as he could. He got out. That's a key point right there. The fact that Rivera can get out is just as impressive, in my opinion, as the fact that he was able to not only score three takedowns against Spencer Lee, three takedowns with three different attacks and finish those because we've seen Spencer Lee in years past or in matches past, especially against guys like um, Suriano and Nathan Tomasello, guys that would get in deep on him, and he was able to outscramble them and either get stalemates or even score off those scrambles himself. Right. You know, I hate to use the word game plan too much because I think Rivera, his game plan was just to go out there and win. But, you know, he did game plan him a little bit, right? He stayed out of those ties, stayed a little bit behind. He didn't get his arms binded up where Lee likes to go for that dump and carry. He stopped. He shut down Lee's offense. Lee had no offense during that match. I mean, he had a couple of attacks, but Rivera really basically shut him down. So I'm glad you said that. And you know, I want to get both of your guys' takes on this. You know, you mentioned a bit ago that we didn't see the best Spencer Lee is it that we didn't see the best Spencer Lee because he was off that day? Or did we not see the best? Was that the best Spencer Lee and that Rivera just executed a better game plan and he was better than Spencer Lee on that day? I, I can't believe that's the best Spencer Lee. I don't think the best Spencer Lee loses to Sebastian Rivera 7-3. Now, maybe he could st- it's possible he could still lose, but the best Spencer Lee that we know and love and the, the people that he's dominated across the world, I, I can't believe that the best Spencer Lee is 7-3 and Rivera's just jumped him that much. Yeah, I'm going to tend to agree with that as well, Ben. Um, you know, Rivera might beat him; they wrestle again, but uh, I don't, I don't see him always being four points better than Lee. And it, and it was a dominating match. I mean, it could have even been worse. Yeah, and I think the other thing to remember too about Sebastian Rivera is that he, I cannot begin to uh, you know overstate how great his offense is on his feet. When you look at what he did in this tournament and what he does in general, I mean, he uh, had tech falls all the way to the finals. All right, putting up a lot of points, putting up 18, 21, 20, and 19 points before he gets to um, the finals and scores seven points against Spencer Lee. He scored from his feet. He scored from top. He got out from bottom. And there's one thing that you can't um, overlook with Rivera. Not only is he so good in multiple facets of his game on the mat, he's also got an amazing pace. We saw that pace be the difference maker in his match against Ronnie Bresser in the Cliff Keen finals earlier this year. And that's right. And something else I like about him, he really seems to have a chip on his shoulder. Um, if you 
listened to some of the interviews after Vegas. You know, he was kind of taken aback by some trash talk over Twitter type thing, and he used it to his benefit and uh, took it out on the competition. And uh, I'm sure he's hearing the same things that we're saying that, you know, Spencer Lee is going to cruise to three titles, not lose again, and uh, he's taking that personally. I agree with you. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, but I will also agree with what you guys said earlier. As much I'm a huge Sebastian Rivera fan. I have been the last two years. But even even with that said, if I was a betting man right now, I would be hard-pressed to bet against Spencer Lee when all the marbles are on the line come March. Yeah. One, one last neat thing about this weight class is that did you know that Sebastian Rivera beat Glory in the state finals? Uh, his Sebastian Rivera's senior year. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's kind of Yeah, cool. they're both from Jersey, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, that's right. Interesting. Um, all right, let's move on to 133 pounds. And really, th- there wasn't a lot of intrigue in this weight class, in my opinion, with the exception that we saw Nathan Tomasello enter as a post-grad. Um, we don't see too many of those guys anymore at Midlands. It used to be a very common thing. I thought that was pretty cool. Unfortunately, he had the injury default out in the t- you know early in the tournament. Um, ultimately, Austin DeSanto ran through this tournament without much of a problem. Um, one thing I did find fascinating was that he was actually able to get a victory by disqualification. Usually, <laughs> we see him losing by disqualification. I thought that was a little neat. Um, you guys got any comments on this weight class? Uh, just that I thought DeSanto looked great. Now, the competition wasn't um, very stout. Although, you know, Dylan Duncan, I thought that, I thought that could be a good, sneaky, uh, sleeper, fun match to watch. It was not. It was Duncan getting stalled out. He got stalled out, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean... But DeSanto did look really good, okay? Um, again, it's hard to judge based on the competition, but there's some decent guys. You know, these guys are college-level dudes that are wrestling and placing in the Midlands tournament. Um, you know, Noah Gonzer is a uh, national qualifier a couple years ago for Eastern Michigan, and DeSanto beat the hell out of him 15-5. to 5. Uh, You know, I'm higher now on DeSanto than I was before Midlands, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I really don't know what to think. Uh, he did dominate the competition. He looked great. But uh, 133 is just a stacked weight class, so he didn't get to hit anybody that's above him nationally or really even close to him, aside from you know Duncan, as you mentioned, and that was just uh, domination. You know, when it comes to Austin DeSanto, I still have to consider him outside. Definitely, he's out. He's definitely outside the top tier at 133. Um, I'm not even sure if I would put him in the second tier at 133 just yet, because if we're talking about these tiers, we're obviously talking about Seth Gross, Nick Suriano, Dayton Fix, um, and uh, and and Meech. That that would be my top tier at 133. When you get into that second tier, then you're looking at like. Pletcher, you're looking at Tariq Wilson and Philippi, and, and even Philippi. I'm, you know, he's had great results this year. Obviously, a great Cliff Keen, but it is his first year as a starter. We don't know what to see long term from him the rest of the season. But he's performed like a second tier guy. With DeSanto, I would put him probably in that third tier. And I think the biggest thing when it comes to DeSanto, in my opinion, is that he he's inconsistent. Okay, he he can be very inconsistent. Um, he is a guy that when his head is on straight, and mentally he's in check. He's got that amazing gas tank. He's got an amazing carry, and we can see him score points and bunches on guys. If a guy is having a bad day mentally, they do not want to meet an Austin DeSanto who is on his game because he will eat you up if you're out there on the mat pouting. But at the other, on the other side, we've seen him had those head scratching, you know, actions on the mat, you know, getting disqualified, you know, disqualified in some matches, losing his cool. He has mental lapses, big absolutely, time. a lot of mental lapses. And I guess I'm hoping that with the coaches like the Brands in his corner, Ryan Morningstar in his corner, that those guys are really working on that aspect of his game. Because if they get that worked out, 
he can definitely be a force to be reckoned with at this weight. Earl, you got anything about that? Yeah, I would agree. I would tend to agree with you as far as the the mental improvements uh, with the brands and Morningstar in Iowa. So I do look to see him improve there. One forty one. Um, look, I'll be I'll be honest with you. It was another weight class, in my opinion, at the Midlands that just didn't have a you know a, a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Right. Um, ultimately, we did see number one seed Josh Alber win the title um, over Max Murin from Iowa. Um, I, I was a little shocked by that. You know, I, I thought Murin would have been a guy that could actually win this tournament as the two seed. Um, what are your thoughts on this weight class? Well, just with regards to the match, Alber Murin, I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a high intensity five two match. They banged. I mean, they hand fought the crap out of each other. It was chippy. I mean, these are two dudes that ain't gonna back down from anybody. And I really enjoyed watching them wrestle. It was a hard nosed scrap. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't you know I wasn't in love with with this tournament. I thought that Blockus, um, um, what's his first name? Michael Blockus, the unattached guy from Northwestern, I believe, Northern or, or Northern Iowa. Excuse me. Yeah, he. I thought he was very impressive. Um, you know, I know Muir and Major Tomato, but He's, you know, he's a freshman, so I, you know, I'm looking to see kind of what he's going to be able to do next year. You always get a glimmer, and we'll talk about this at the next weight, right, more than anything. You get a glimmer of some of those red shirts of where they are and who's going to be impressive. I, I still remember we're like, Sebastian Rivera guy, you know, he placed like fourth at Midlands as a red shirt. And we're like, this guy could be pretty good, you know, and turns out he was. You know who really impressed me in this weight class? And this is a guy who... We've we've talked about him early in the season where I think his best wrestling days are way ahead of him still is um, Thomas from Northwestern. Okay, yeah, yeah, Thomas from Northwestern. You know, he goes out. He he has a great win in the in the in the quarters to make the semis over former. Iowa starter Vince Turk he beats him I think five to four before he ultimately loses to Auber five to one but then goes on the backside to come back and take third he's a freshman I think we talked about I don't think he ever won a state title in high school um I think this guy's only going to continue to get better and he could be somebody that maybe not make the podium in March but definitely win a few matches at the national tournament yeah, he was a guy last year that had a pretty good Midlands and uh, kind of put himself on the radar for me and I'm sure a lot of other people um, wrestling unattached. So uh, he kind of had a lot of expectations coming into this year, dropped a couple dual meets early on, but, uh, you know, he could be rounding into shape right now. And uh, kind of building off what Ben said, I like to see that Northern Iowa-Iowa matchup in the finals because those guys don't duel each other for whatever reason. Oh, but, we know why. <laughs> um, so we, we had a couple of those matches in the finals and the semis, and you're right, it was chippy. And uh, I like to see Albert get the win. He's a senior. He's a guy that's always been knocking on the door, kind of top 10-ish guy, but uh, hasn't got onto the podium yet. So, you know, maybe this will be his year. I think if ever there was a year for Auburn to get on the podium, especially at this weight class, this would be the year because typically in the past two to three years, 141 pounds has been stacked deep everything. You've had so many stars, so many big guns in that weight class. Um, This year, though, I was actually looking at things, and really outside the top four, it's kind of up for grabs after that. There's a lot up for grabs outside the top four. It's very top-heavy with those top four guys. 
But I think one of the things that's always plagued Auber is that Auber is very limited offensively, okay? Um, he, he doesn't show us a lot um, scoring from his feet. Um, he's great defensively, though. I mean, he is a bull-nosed guy that will not back down from anyone. But for him to get on that podium this year, he's going to obviously look th- – this goes without saying – he's got to score points. you got to score points to beat guys. And I'm wondering if he's going to be able to open it up a little bit more and find a way to score more points, though that way he can actually get past that hump and get on the podium as a senior. All right, so uh, one last comment on this weight class before we go ahead and move on to uh, one of the better weight classes, more intriguing weight classes in this tournament is I, I got to give a, put a little plug in for for Corey Shee from uh, Army West Point. He's an Corey Shy. Corey Shy, I'm sorry. Corey yeah, Shy, buddy. Yeah. Um, wrestles for Army West Point. He's an Ohio guy. I think he wrestled at LaSalle High School in Cincinnati. Yeah. You know. Shy was extremely good in high school and probably could have gone to any college that he wanted within reason. Um, for whatever reason, he's got bigger goals in life. He's at, he's at Army West Point. Heck yeah. I thought he had a really nice tournament. You know, he makes the quarters, um, upsetting the 15 seed in the first round, ultimately makes the quarters where he narrowly loses to Max Muir in 6-4. to four. Then on the backside, he goes on a nice little run on the backside, including a pin of Tristan Moran from Wisconsin um, in a minute and 31 seconds before ultimately falling to, to, to sixth place. I thought that was a great tournament for him. Um, and it's always great to see Ohio guys do well at stuff like this, especially when they're at smaller schools. I completely agree. I mean, I think they just dueled and he beat uh, Sam Turner from Wyoming too. Did he really? Yeah. And, and he, um, he had a tight one with uh, AC Headley. I mean, he's knocking on the door of potentially being ranked. And that and and look, he was good in high school. He was very good. He was he was very good. I don't think he ever won it, did he? Uh, now you're getting into an area. Yeah, I can't, yeah he I might have won it. He was he was very good. But now he's beating nationally ranked guys. That that, that was something that is. I think that he. I think he's doing better than I expected him to do. And not no knock at him, but just when you look at people, he was always a goer and had a. He was. A he mean came into son high a school too. with a lot of fanfare, with a lot of um. Yeah. With a lot of hype, a lot of expectations. As a freshman, okay? he As was a freshman, good. He did very well. But what I like best about this, besides the fact that he's from Ohio, besides the fact that he's having success, is I love when you see these guys who were great high school wrestlers who could have gone anywhere. They choose to go to a place like the Naval Academy, Army West Point, Air Force, um, and they can, they're, they're having success at these schools. I love when we see these guys from these programs, especially our Army Forces, have success. If he continues this, because he's still very young, if he continues this, this is a guy that could be knocking on the door, round of 12 eventually, possibly getting on the podium Sunday. He's got to continue to train, continue to get better, but his results at this tournament give indication that he's on that right path. You know, Army gets a lot of Ohio boys. Isn't Rocco Kaywood from Army too? Yeah. And then there's and a, he's, and Rocco Kaywood before yeah. you know he just lost. He lost. He lost in a duel, I think, recently but, um, at the national duels. The but he was ranked, you know, fourth right. in the country in, in some rankings. Uh, yeah. So Army gets some Ohio boys, and they just tend to do pretty darn good. All right. Let's get to 149. I thought this weight class was probably one of the better ones in this tournament. Okay. Um, you know, starting out, you've got guys like Matt Kolodzik, you've got Pat Lugo, um, Josh Heil from Campbell was there, All-American Max Thompson, um, you seeing some stud guys in red shirt like a Brayton Lee, Sammy Sasso, Ja'Cory Teamer. Um, I mean, this weight class had a lot going on, not to mention Alec Pantaleo makes his first drop down to 149 from 157 at this weight class. Uh, oh, 
I got to mention Anthony Artelona as well from Penn, another guy, another freshman guy ranked who's having a great season. Um, Maruka from Arizona. Jesus, this was probably one of the best weight classes in the Ryan Deal was your 12th seed, and that dude pinned Nick Lee last year at the NCAA tournament. He did, and then Nick Lee battled back and (laughs) All-American. Damn you, Nick Lee. (laughs) Actually, Earl and I was talking about on the way over to your house to do this podcast that uh, if Nick Lee's red shirt doesn't get pulled last year, Ohio State wins the team title. (laughs) Um, So, off the cuff, Earl, what are your thoughts about this weight class at this tournament? I know before we started this, I said we could probably talk 20 minutes on this weight class alone, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, you mentioned the red shirts. That really stood out for me. Um, Sammy Sasso loses his first match, battles back. Um, you know, Ja'Cory Teamer go into sudden victory with Kaladzic. Um, you know, I don't know. Just everything. Um, I can't even. I can't even put it into words. I'm, I'm all over the place. So. Before we break down some of these some of some of these matches that took place earlier in, the, in this bracket, um, ultimately I do believe the best guy won this bracket. All right, Matt Kalodzic is, and you know he was the best guy in this bracket. Um, I think he's definitely a title contender at 149 pounds. He took care of business, and he re- he really didn't have an easy path. I mean, if you think about it, um, he had to get past Jacory Teamer. That was a close match, six to four, and sudden victory. Jacory Teamer is a fantastic wrestler who's in red shirt for Arizona. He's going right to be. Now. Outstanding. Agreed. He's going to be amazing. The tools that he has, you know who he kind of reminds me of with some of the stuff he hits? Kevin Randleman. Some of the, just the bully stuff that he does. Really? So, somebody got in on his leg, and he kind of sat the corner. And you know how when you sit the corner, normally you would sit on your butt and try to scoot around? He sat the corner, got the leg, then just stood up and like just reversed this dude under an explosion. And I'm like, that's Randleman-esque. Like, dude. He's going to be good. He's going to be good. And like we've talked about Arizona State before. Like, all right, the— at some point in time, they're going to have to take all these great recruiting classes and put it together to become that one of those upper echelon teams. We need to see it. It, has, it hasn't happened yet, but they continue to get great recruits. So maybe he's a, part, he's a guy that's a part of that team that does get to that upper echelon at the national tournament. Did the best guy win? This bracket? Yeah. I do. I do believe that the best guy won this bracket. Lo- would have loved to have seen a sasso Kalazic match. I could not be more impressed with Sammy Sasso. Obviously, he lost to Teamer, who's bigger than him. I mean, Teamer, they're saying, might be going 57 next year, is what I heard, to, to fit into fit in to the lineup. Um, Sasso but is— I wouldn't be surprised if we see Sasso at 57 next year either. He's a small 49. I'm just saying. there's You, you never know what's going to happen. And I tell you what, after he lost that match to Sasso, which was an extremely competitive match, you could tell he just got a little bit out-scrambled— um, was there, a, was there a questionable? Some, oh, some big qu- time! Talk about some of the question, oh. you know, the questionable actions in this match. Okay, well, there's there's really only one, and it was uh, actually was there more than one? Um, Maybe some uh, some some back point. I thought there was, yeah, I thought there was. A, there, I think I think Teamer was kind of taking some longers at the end too, um, but uh, not enough to get injury time, you know. But really walking back slow. Yeah. So Sasso is tied, and I think he's got to ride him out to take it to overtime. Okay, Sasso's riding him. Teamer hits this like Granby roll type thing and reverses him. I think I believe, and then Sasso immediately reverses Teamer, but by reversing him, he does a Dylan Ness type uh, elevator, you know, and he's on his back for one second, and they gave him two back points. So it, it would have been tied again because it was tied. He got reversed, then he reversed him back, but they gave him two backs, so it ended up being eight six, which is which was it was a bad call. It was a bad call. Let these guys go into OT. 
You, you know what? Obviously, we can't do anything about the call, all right? The match ended the way it did. It's unfortunate because, like you said, I would have loved to have seen a Kolodzik-Sasso match. I think it would have been a great match. However, since we're talking about Sammy Sasso, what Sammy Sasso was able to do on the backside of this bracket was nothing short of spectacular. Road Warrior of? Well, he didn't lose first round. The week, yeah, he did. He lost his first match. Oh, okay. All right, we'll give him Road Warrior of the Week. Road Warrior of the Week. (laughs) Um, You know, but he comes back taking third on that backside with wins over Pat Lugo, wins over uh, an an impressive shutout win over Pantaleo. Um, He beat Josh. Well, no, I'm I'm sorry. Josh Heil actually medically forfeited out of that. Um, It gives, I think think it might be Hunter. Henry. 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 <laughs> Alex Hunter. Thank Pumar God we got Earl. Too. Then we got <laughs> Yeah. Pomar's good too, though. Yeah. Um, but it gives Buckeye fans a lot to be excited about, especially, you know, considering he had that early season match against Micah Jordan that was 9-7. to I mean, I'm pumped about Sasso as a Buckeye fan. I think he was the best guy that way. I'm, I'm going to say Kolodzik, the best man, won the bracket. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think, Earl? I agree. Uh, Kolodzik was the best guy at the bracket. <laughs> But I was very impressed with Sasso. Um, let's talk about Alec Pantaleo for a minute. All right. Here's a guy that we hadn't seen compete since early November. Okay. Um, there were a lot of rumors, and then ultimately he came out and said it, that he, he, he was battling a case of mono, a bad case of mono. Look, I, I, I believe him. I absolutely believe him. Um, on top of that, he was also wanting to get down to 149. I think he felt that his best chance to win a title was at 149 pounds. We see him make his debut at that weight class at this tournament. I, I got to be honest with you. If I'm a guy that's making that cut down, especially after being sick, I'm not going to make my debut at the Midlands tournament, okay, where you're going to have to make weight two days in a row. I'm probably trying to make you know make my, my debut at a duel. He comes out on fire, you know, he, a, a pin in the first match. He scores a major decision in the second match, a, a convincing win over Shane Oster um, uh, in, in his third match. Um, he runs up against a very, very, very tough Redshirt freshman Brayton Lee from Minnesota, I believe, um, squeaks out a three to two win there before ultimately falling to Max Thompson. He then drops down on the backside. Obviously, he loses Sammy Sasso. In the end, he doesn't have the tournament he was obviously hoping for as the two seed. On top of that, to make things even more interesting, Michigan just battled Arizona State in a duel last night, okay? And we see Pantaleo back up at 157. Um, it confuses me. I'm confused by this because if ultimately, if your goal is to wrestle 149 pounds in March, and it's a it's a tough cut for you, you don't cut down to 149 then wrestle 157. I have to believe that he weighed in close to 157, which to me messes up his uh, what do you his call descent. it? His descent. So I got to believe now that he's back at 157. What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I would I would have to agree, especially with the way we saw him on day two. You know Thompson uh, just rode him out. He couldn't he couldn't get up off the bottom at all. Um, didn't look like he had any energy, and uh, then ends up you know defaulting out for uh, fifth place. So uh, I would be shocked if uh, he tries to go back to forty nine. Um, you know maybe he could have uh, weighed in light and wrestled fifty seven, but I don't understand why you do that. Look, I, I have a couple comments about uh, about Mr. Pantaleo, who I think is a stud, by the way. I, I, and I love the way he wrestles. Um, he's gritty. He's explosive. 
this wasn't I was like this wasn't the best Alex Pantaleo. Alex Alex, sorry. I always say Alex. Alex Pullmeyer. <laughs> it's Henry. <laughs> Everybody's name is Alex. Alex Alec Pullmeyer or Alex <laughs> Alec Pantaleo. Um it wasn't the best Alec Pantaleo we've ever seen. But he has a history of being inconsistent, right? Absolutely. Um would you say he's consistently inconsistent? He's consistently inconsistent. We talked about that with their heavyweight uh, last night, but we'll we'll get into that later. Um, I think that the 149 experiment might be over. Uh, he got down there. I'm not sure he felt great about it, uh, about being down there. Now, he could probably get his body into feeling good about it, but coming back from mono, you know, and then only training for a week then going out there, he's not going to be t- he's not going to be on his game. I don't know if I was a huge fan of him coming out and saying that on Twitter. I don't think it was needed. I think that you take your lumps, you lose. It, you lost because you weren't the best version of yourself. Mono had a lot to do with that, but there's no need to come out there and say that, my opinion. Here's the thing about Pantaleo going down to 149 pounds that I don't think people really have realized. Maybe they have, and I'm just being an idiot right now, but he hasn't wrestled that low since his sophomore year, right? Where he was able to get an All-American finish at 149 pounds. That's right. He took a red shirt the next year. He wrestled a lot that year, especially freestyle, and I don't think he wrestled lower than 70 kilograms, okay? So even then, he's not down at, you know, 143 whatever pounds on the freestyle circuit. Then he's been at 157 last year and 157 this year, okay, to start the season out. It's got to be a huge cut from him because, face it, when I look at Pantaleo, I don't see a guy with a lot of body fat. I don't see a small 157-pounder either. No. Okay, he may be a little bit short, but that guy is put together very well, very explosive, very muscular. So this Who guy, out-muscled him last year? Hidley, maybe? I don't know if anybody out-muscled and that's him. A 57. I think some people outclassed him a little bit in some situations, but yeah. I don't think anybody out-muscled him. Maybe a Hidley, like you said. I mean, Alex Pantaleo would be ranked fifth in the country at 157, likely to me. You know, if, if taking away these losses, or to me, I wouldn't say rank, but he's the fifth best guy in the country at that weight with, the, with definitely the ability to be Berger. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, here's the thing. When Pan, we heard this from the Michigan guys, our blood round boys, when Pantaleo dropped, they're like wanted to anoint him as the champ because he can beat Micah Jordan. I'm like, boys, there's many more people than Micah Jordan at that weight class, including one Anthony Ashnolf and Matthew Kalazic, who are pretty damn good. So don't just anoint him the champion. Great point. Because right now, Anthony Ashnolf has to be considered the favorite at that weight class. This is a guy who's a three-time All-American, looking to become a four-time All-American this year, and he beat Micah Jordan convincingly, even though I think he was tiring down at the end, and once they got back to their feet, Jordan was mounting a comeback. But ultimately, he got on top. Got that cross wrist tilt, which he's so good at, and he won the match fair and square. Anthony Ashnell is the favorite at this weight class. So just because a guy drops down to a weight class that he hasn't been at in a few years, you can't anoint him as the champ. In fact, making that big of a cut, especially in a weight class like 149, that is starting to starting to fill out as a very maybe not high-end superstars like you see at, you know, 74 with the Zahids and Mark Halls. But this weight class is becoming very deep. Yeah, we forget about Josh Oliver, who's an Justin Oliver. Justin Oliver. <laughs> I'm terrible with first names today. <laughs> and that little freshman by the name of O'Connor who's just a freaking stud. Yeah, and, and I'm even going to throw a plug in right now, and we'll talk about this guy later. Caden Gefella from Oklahoma State. All right, here's another guy that's making this weight class very interesting. And then you got fine. So, I mean, it's it's a very tough and deep weight class, so... There's even no guarantee for a podium spot for a lot of guys right now. I, 
I love everything you just said. I mean, you got guys like Brady Berge who could, you know, be making coming out. Pat Lugo's ranked thirteenth right now. I mean, come on, boys. There, there, there's a there's some wrestlers at this weight, and I just didn't get it as soon as Pantaleo dropped. Everybody was like, oh, you know, yeah, he's got finalist contender, championship contender, but let's not just anoint him the the champ. And honestly, if you want my if you want my true opinion on this, and I want to hear what Earl has to say as well. Yes, Pantaleo's got finalist contendership at this weight class. He also had that at 157 pounds because, let's face it, 157 pounds is clearing out. And outside, again, the top three or four guys, obviously Nolf, Hidley, um, Deacon, and Tyler Berger, you know, it's up for that, – that other finalist spot, depending on what side of the bracket you're on in March, is up for grabs. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, and he, he has beaten those guys at 57, the you know Berger. Great point. He, you know, he hasn't beaten uh, – highly beat him, I think, in the semis last year. But uh, he could beat him. You know, why not? I mean, Hidley has already lost a couple of matches this year, which he didn't do all of last year until he lost his first match in the finals. Lost to Larry Early, just lost another one to – somebody help me out here. Who was it? You guys keep talking I'm just curious. I, I know he lost another one that I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Um, but anyway, a, a, as we were saying, I, I, I do agree with what Earl said earlier. I do think the 149-pound experiment is over for Pantaleo at this time. He um, lost to Burger. Okay, Burger. Okay. Um, look, Burger's, Burger's tough as shit. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else from this weight class that you guys found intriguing or interesting? I got, I got a question for you both on this, it, Earl, especially you here. We haven't really talked about oh. on this. Who gives Minnesota at this point a better chance to score points at nationals? A Brayton Lee, a great freshman, or Tommy Thorne, who is again having an extremely inconsistent and head scratching year. You know, he put together an All American finish a couple, a couple years ago, but since then, just hasn't grown like we thought he would personally i'm i'm someone that likes to stick to the veterans you know thorn has been there done that um you know lee had an impressive tournament i think he's got a bright future for minnesota but uh until until we see a little more from lee i'm still partial to thorn and i'm gonna agree with earl i thought lee is one of the you know you look at guys that wrestle and you say this is the guy these are the type of guys that need the red shirt Lee's one of those guys. He's going to be great, but he, he wouldn't contend this year at 149. Um, you know, like, and that, he beat Cole Martin from Wisconsin in tiebreakers. You know, like that type of thing. But next year, I think that he could, he could make that jump. You, you roll out the veteran. Um, you hope you can get something out of him. You're probably not going to. One last thing at this weight class. We didn't really talk much about it, but Max Thompson had a really good tournament too. He really making did. Making the finals. Yeah, he and, really and, did. And challenging Kolodzic. So. And I think one of the last things I'll say is um, Iowa fans, Pat Lugo fans, you really need to start tempering your expectations on him. I'm not impressed at this point in the season. Um, again, I think he's very limited offensively. Um, he's not showing that. You know, <laughs> Look, let's face it. I think that if you read between the lines, he thought his issues at Edinburgh was due to coaching. All right, He goes out to Iowa. He's in arguably a better room. Um, he's got great coaches, and I'm not seeing that room jump that you thought he would get after being in the Iowa room for two years now. And I'm one of those people who expected that. No offense to Tim Flynn and the previous staff at Edinburgh. No, not at all. But 
yeah, I expected a big room jump from moving to Iowa, and uh, it almost looks like a little bit of a regression more than anything. Interesting point there. All right, let's go ahead and uh, transition to 157 pounds. Um, I think this is another one of those weight classes we can all agree. Not a lot of intrigue at this weight class. Um, top seed Ryan Deacon, who I've been on record as and I really do believe he is the second best guy in this weight class in the country, ultimately won this um, won this division over Caleb Young from Iowa. Um, it, you know, Deacon continues to impress. He continues to get the job done. I don't think he's quite on the level yet to where he's going to challenge Nolf, but I do think he is starting to um, continue to solidify himself as the second best guy in this country. Now, guys like Tyler Berger obviously are going to have something to say about that, but what are your thoughts on this weight class, Earl? Yeah, I think uh, Deacon's really established himself kind of on a tier by himself as that uh, second guy, you know, behind Nolf. Um, and I, I want to see that match. I don't know if he really challenges him, but, uh, you know, I feel like uh, it could be an interesting match. And the, the other thing I wanted to shout out at this weight was uh, Zach Hartman from Bucknell, true freshman, uh, gets a major decision over Pagdaleo, the guy that just beat Pantaleo, and John Van Brill, round a 12 guy from last year. Um, so Bucknell's not a program we probably talk about a lot, but, uh, you know, that was a good showing for him. Oh, it was a great showing for him. Like I mean, Obviously, he falls to Caleb Young convincingly in the semis, but Hartman, you know, on top of having the wins that you you know you mentioned there, goes on the backside, ends up finishing third in this weight class as a true freshman from Bucknell. Fantastic tournament from him, um, and I think we've already seen him rise in a lot of the ranking publications already after this tournament. Deacon, no. I mean. It's it's funny that, that Northwestern is the potential spoiler to the guys that are the unbeatables, right? You That's know, a great point. Rivera, yeah, Lee, great point. Deacon Nolf. Look, after watching Lee get dismantled, dismantled, guys, it wasn't a competitive match. But we, I guess there's more data for Nolf, right, in the college level. I just it's so hard to see anybody beat him. Well, it's yeah. so hard seeing anybody beat his ability to do anything on the mat, anything. It's funny that you say that, and I think we've talked about this before. Like, Jason Nolf is one of those guys that you really have to appreciate what you're seeing right now. Okay? Yes. You yes. have to. And Isaiah Martinez tweeted out something fantastic about a week ago about Jason Nolf. And he said that wrestling Jason Nolf was always the most stressful matches of his college career because he never stops going he never gets tired he you have to be you have to be ready for anything at all times against jason nolf because he really does we talk about this you know throwing the proverbial kitchen sink at people oh, yeah. on top of being a technically and fundamentally sound wrestler he's also one of the most creative guys on the mat that we've probably seen in years and he's david taylor-esque right I, I would, or maybe even more. I would put up David Taylor wasn't David Taylor. We're talking creativity, right? Creativity. Yeah. David Taylor did some things very, very well. Nolf does things that you've never seen from people before. I mean, he's basically making up moves on the mat with some of these people. You remember when that dude? What was his name? Was that double legged him and he freaking did like a matrix, like yeah. cartwheel to yes. get out of it? Yeah, that type of stuff. Um, that just goes to show. You. Isaiah Martina beat him. It owns a two to one record against him. That's how bad of a man Isaiah Martinez is. Um, I don't think Deacon can beat him. I don't think Deacon can challenge him. Didn't think Rivera was going to be able to really challenge Lee. So, um, reserve judgment, but I, I doubt it. Yeah, I mean, 
and Earl, give us your thoughts on this. I mean, really, I don't think I don't think he can beat Nolf. But again, we didn't think Lee would lose. Um, if I had to bet, I'd say Nolf by maybe five or six. I think it could. You know, last year's finals match against Nolf and Hidley was. Um, I don't want to say the match was close, but it was closer than typical matches against Nason, uh, Jason Nolf have has been. I think it was a decision, right? Six to two, something like that. Um, and, and I think because Hidley is a guy that one is so solid defensively, if you let him control underhooks on you, he's going to be able to keep a match close. I'm not sure Hidley's a guy that has the offense to beat a guy like Nolf. What I will say about Deacon is this: Deacon is long. He's very strong. He's trying to get the friction on. I do like that, Ben. Next time, say it in the microphone. Long, strong, and bound to get the friction out. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if his style is a style where he can actually keep the match close with Jason Nolf. Because the only way you're beating Nolf is either, one, you put him on his back unexpectedly, or two, you're able to keep it close and score a takedown late to win the match. Yeah, I'm not sure you can go blow for blow with him. High, you're going to lose a high-scoring match against Nolf. Because he's going to find the more opportunities you give him to score. Because, look, every time you try to score, you're opening up an opportunity for him to score. The more opportunities you give for him to score, he's just better than you are at, at scoring. Ah, that's a great point. I, I, I mean, you can't, you can't debate that. Um, real quick before we move on to the next weight class, um, I think can Caleb Young continues to improve. Okay, now granted the competition in this weight class wasn't great, but here's his scores going up to the finals. 17 to nothing, 16 to nothing, 10, 15 to nothing, 9 to 2 in the semis before losing 6 to 2 to Deacon. This is a guy that was a rather, he was a decent recruit coming out of Pennsylvania, okay? A first year full-time starter in the Iowa lineup, and I think most importantly, at a weight that is conducive to him. He, we saw him bounce around between 174, 165 in years past. Now he's a guy that's ranked top six in the country. He's having a good season. Um, I think this is, he's been a very bright spot for the Iowa Hawkeyes this year so far. All right, let's go ahead and move on to 165 at the Midlands, guys. What are your thoughts? Uh, this was one of the weight classes I was looking forward to the most. Um, those top four, uh, Marinelli, Wick, Steyer, Shields, you know, that's the kind of weight classes I think we're used to seeing at these Midlands and Scuffles. You know, these top top ten guys, these multiple-time All-Americans, or maybe Wick isn't because he was just a freshman last year. But, uh, you know, that was uh, – it was interesting how that played out. Um, and uh, You even saw the return of Anthony Valencia. All right. First time we've really seen him on the mat in a college, you know, in a college singlet this year, entered unattached for Arizona State. Yeah. Um, and he went down in the quarters to Steyer 10 to 1, which um, I could see Steyer beating him. I didn't necessarily think he would major him. And, uh, and then Wick majors Steyer, which. Uh, I mean, you know, he's a pretty stout defensive guy. Uh, it's uh, pretty impressive on Wick's behalf. Wick's a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Wick is a bad dude. And I tell you what, that makes Anthony, uh, or excuse me, Alex Marinelli a badder dude. You know, that was an awesome match, bro. And that's a great point, Ben. And you and I, we've talked about this before, like 165 pounds right now. Look. Vincenzo is the favorite right now, and anyone that wants to dispute that is crazy. He is the favorite. But I will say he's this. He looked good, too. Looked very good, okay? 
But the top four in that weight class, Joseph, Marinelli, Wick, and Marsteller, you put those guys, again, we've said this in the past, you put them in a pool, okay? Vincenzo's probably going to win the majority of the time, but any one of those guys has a chance to win this weight class, and they all have different styles, which makes this such an exciting weight to watch. That's pretty. That's a pretty cool thing you just picked up on. They really all do have different styles. Marinelli, Marsteller, probably the most similar, straightforward, bangers, bulls, with pretty good technique, but... um. But, yeah, you're right. They all do kind of have different styles. Yeah. I like it, man. I, I like that comment. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Marinelli looked freaking great in the finals. He looked great. Th- those double legs he hit on – now, remember, he got majored at the NCAA tournament last year by Evan Witt. Yeah. It, it was at one of those situations, too, where Witt gets on top yeah. and goes to work. Yep. Absolutely it was. You saw Witt last – I mean, you saw Witt do that at a national tournament. You know, for third and fourth place against Marsteller. Marsteller was winning that match. Witt gets on top. Name. Pins him. Okay? I mean, he, he's good on top. People that want to go under Wick, I don't advise it. Remember when Isaiah White went under Wick earlier this season? Bet he doesn't do it again. Yeah, that was smart. And, and Wick is, I think Wick's underrated in his other positions, too. I think that he's fine on his feet. He's got, he's got a lot of length, and he's got single legs. Marinelli timed a couple shots, and what he did was he timed him so well, and he went double. You want to know why I like, you want to know why I like him going double there? Because double leg against a scrambler is the best takedown if you can get it. If you get one leg, either on a high crotch or a single, that just opens up the scramble. That's right. That's You're just getting to the business then. You double, finish with a locked hand double right below the butt. Can't scramble out of that. Marinelli did it. Looked fantastic. Josh Shields from Arizona State ultimately battled back, finishes third in this weight class. Um, I find it rather interesting that Shields is at 165 this year. I don't know if it was a weight cut issue or whatever it is. He is a big guy. Um I think his chances were better at 157 pounds if it was a weight that he could manage. What are your guys' thoughts on him being at 165 this year? Uh, is he a podium contender? Is he on the is he on the outside looking in? I, I want to let Earl answer that question. I just want to let you know, I think that he went up. I don't think that he could comfortably make 157 the way he looks right now. So with that said, I mean, obviously, Anthony Valencia, who's typically wrestled 165 for Arizona State the past couple of years, he's in red shirt this year. Are we looking at a situation next year where – um, is Shields a junior? Shields, yeah, is, a, Shields, he's, a, Shields junior. is a junior. So are we looking at a situation where Zahid goes up, Anthony goes up, and Josh Shields is at 165 next year? Is that what we're thinking? That's what I would think, yeah. And, and then team at 57, great point. Yeah, and if, uh, if Shields could have made 57, that would have worked out best for the team, having you know Shields 57, Valencia 65-74. Um, so, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think he makes it. And uh, as far as you asked where he's – stands in the landscape of the weight class I think he's a pretty solid bet for All-American I do think those top four you mentioned with Marsteller, Marinelli, Wick and uh, Joseph I think he's just a notch below those guys well Earl's got him ranked at fifth right now and uh, uh, Earl Smith here from the open mat if anybody was wondering we got him on our podcast um, he's got him ranked fifth over Chandler Rogers Isaiah White and Makai Lewis so you obviously are pretty high on him yeah, absolutely. I I just think he at this point he's kind of right below those guys. Um, you know, he, he may. I don't know what the schedule looks like. Whether he's going to see any of them for the re- the rest of the season, but uh, you know, I think that's a good spot for him. Five. And honestly, you know, and we won't harp on this for too too much longer. Outside those top four, everyone after that is so close and could be ranked in any specific order that you choose to do so. Um, 
one of the biggest surprises to me, obviously, though, is, and we've talked about this in the past, is how good Logan Massa was as a freshman and where he is at now. Um, we expected to see him. I expected to see him making jumps. He's not doing that. In fact, he just lost in the duel last night to Arizona State to to Josh Shields. So um, I think having Shields ranked fifth, there's definitely an argument to be made for that. I would say in the fifth through ten area, probably the most dangerous wrestler in that in that range is probably going to be Chandler Rogers because he can catch you with anything at any given time. Um, but it, wrestlers have also shown that if you wrestle very solid against him, you can shut him down and, and win, you know, rather convincingly as well. So let's go ahead and jump up to 174 pounds. Um, honestly, guys, you know, you had Zahid Valencia at this weight class. You've got Taylor Lujan from Northern Iowa. I don't think there was really a lot intriguing outside of those couple of guys, at least my opinion. What are your guys' thoughts on this bracket, guys? I, I completely agree. And this is just kind of a random side note. Uh, did we all... Uh, bet that Spencer Lee and Zahid Valencia would be the first number ones to go down this year? No, absolutely not. That's a great I point. I did. You did not. I did not. <laughs> uh, that's actually a great point. I mean, if you think about it, of all the number ones this year, especially in some of these weight classes like 149, um, 133, 141, um, you, can name, you can name multiple where there's so many great guys in the top tier the two that I did not expect was Spencer Lee and Zahid Valencia. Been on record saying, I, know, I didn't expect Valencia to lose another college match. So, great point. Um, and I wanted to jump in with one more thing. Uh, we had Aaron Brooks, one of those gray shirt guys from Penn State competing. He was the 12th seed. He uh, kind of, well, actually, I guess he didn't cruise to the quarters, but he, he got a good win over Ben Harvey from Army West Point. And then uh, kind of got shut down by Christensen from Wisconsin. I don't think he wrestled on the backside, but uh, you know he's a guy that's had a lot of freestyle success. He's uh, I think he's won a couple of the smaller opens earlier in the year. Huge but, recruit uh, for Penn State. You know, I think, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people were expecting him to kind of come out and shock some people at this weight class, but that didn't necessarily happen. Though the Harvey wins a good one. What I really liked, I think, most about this weight class, again, is seeing how Valencia responded in his first action back after losing the match to Mark Hall where, I mean, let's face it, for all extensive purposes um, or intended purposes, Hall dominated that match. It was not the Zahid Valencia that we're look, you know, used to seeing, and he basically dominated his, way, dominated his way to the title at this bracket at Midlands. For all intents and purposes is the actual Sorry. word there. Um, <laughs> Get a first name right before you start correcting I know. my grammar. That's why I'm joking. Um, you're right. I love Lou John, though. <laughs> Tim Lou John, I think is his name. Shut up. Um, no, Zahid, he was back to his old bag of tricks. Level changes, shots, looking good, looking slick. I like it, baby, because he's going to have to beat Mark Hall for us. Major, pen, pen, major, major. Great tournament for Zahid. Um, let's get the one, 184. Drew Foster was your one seed, ultimately won the title, um, met up against two seed Cash Wilkie. Um, again, not another, another weight class with really not a lot of intrigue here, not a lot of um, high-end, what we would consider the high-end talent, not even a lot of depth. Um, any thoughts you guys have about this weight class? Yeah, um, again, like I said before, at 141, I like to see the Iowa, Northern Iowa uh, going at it. And then uh, I think third, fourth, you had two guys that were from Wisconsin, and Hemauer and uh, Reinhardt, um, 
both kind of unheard of guys uh, to this point who, who picked up a couple good wins here and there. So those are guys that I'm looking for going forward to see if, you know, they can continue and maybe uh, get NCAA qualifier type uh, level. Yeah, Reinhardt beat uh, Gavin Hoffman. Now, Gavin Hoffman, he's a red shirt. He's in red shirt this year for Ohio State. He was the number one ranked guy in the country, I think, at 195 coming out of high school. Um, and, uh, you know, he takes fifth. Very solid performance. Um, not quite the Sasso-level performance that we saw, um, but I think that he's going to slide in nicely um, to, um, when Mymar leaves. It's going to be interesting when Mymar leaves and Hoffman takes the position because um, just the athleticism, is uh, it, it's, there's a big difference. Hoffman's more of a plotter. You know, he plods around the mat, very technically savvy as well, where Mymar, he's a technical wizard. But he's also got that athleticism to go with it. But, you know, I think that Ohio State's in good hands with, with, uh, with Hoffman. I don't know what that means. Uh, athleticism, that was easy for you to say. <laughs> I'm not sure what a tech nickel is. Is everybody making fun of me today? <laughs> is that like a buffalo nickel? <laughs> Technically. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm just, yeah, we're just busting balls at this point. Um, I thought Hoffman had a look. I thought Hoffman had a really good tournament. My only concern is, is in the matches that he lost, he lost handedly to Drew Foster twelve to two. He also lost handedly to Reinhardt nine to three. So it, these weren't close losses. I would expect the loss against Foster, but based on some of the results that we've seen from Hoffman earlier in the year already against Emory Parker um, and some other guys, even his match against Miles Martin in the wrestle off, um, I would expect that match with Foster to be a little bit closer. I would hope. I would hope. Yeah, but you're right. He's another guy. Highly touted recruit coming out of high school, and the red shirt is serving him well. I think he's going to be – the great thing about Hoffman is he is one of the red shirts for Ohio State that next year he will have been battle-tested this year because he's wrestling a full schedule in red shirt, which is great to see. That's an excellent point. And now moving on to 197 pounds. Um, again, man um, – Again, not a weight class with not a lot of intrigue. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me in this weight class was the fact that we saw Jacob Warner go down to Tanner Sloan in the quarters and not only go down, but, I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, Tanner got on top of him and worked him like a rag doll, ultimately tech-falling him 19-3. to Again, if I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan, you have a lot of concerns at the midpoint in the season. This was not a great showing for Iowa at this tournament. What are your thoughts, Earl? Yeah, I agree, and we haven't seen a whole lot out of Warner this year, so I was kind of expecting a big tournament from him, uh, see him against Brucky, uh, all-Illinois final, but uh, yeah, that's, that's Sloan. That was uh, very unforeseen and uh, pretty decisive. Ben? Man, Tanner Sloan's got a nice cheap tilt. He got on top and just tilted him up. What is going on? What, I mean, what is going on with Warner? You know, he doesn't wrestle a ton earlier in the season. Really, at all, they hold him out for a while. And Brands is like, well, he just, you know, he just got back from juniors, right, in September or whenever it was. I forget when it was, but, I mean, like, it didn't make much sense. And he holds him out. Jet lag is a real thing. Right. Now, now, I'm not sure if, if Warner's the, the type of head case guy where they're trying to pick matches for him so he can feel comfortable. But I tell you what, that's not something that you need because you don't get to pick your matches at the bigs, baby, and especially Big Ten duels. You ain't going to get to pick your matches. And he's going to run into a column or he's going to run into these other dudes. I'll tell you what, if he would have somehow beaten um, Sloan, which I'm not sure he would have, and somehow beaten Davison, uh, Patrick Brucky would have beat the freaking living shit out of him. I mean, that's all I got to say about that. Well, I think you make – I'm glad you brought up Patrick Brucky because Patrick Brucky 
was a freshman last year. This guy is jacked, big, strong, 197-pounder. He had a really good freshman season last year, and he is a guy that we are seeing jumps from this year. And he's a guy that could really be dangerous at the national tournament and shake things up, a la Kyle Connell, if people aren't ready for him. Um, he won this weight class with ease. I think, you know, with the way this weight class is shaping up right now, obviously there's rumors that Preston Weagle may be done for the year, uh, you know, hence why we're seeing Dakota Gear from Oklahoma State wrestling 197 pounds right now. So, you, you know, your clear-cut one and two is still Bo Nickel and Colin Moore. Patrick Brucky, I think right now, is making a fantastic case for the number three guy at this weight class. I'm really curious to see how he's going to do against a guy like Colin Moore or some of these other guys, maybe a Willie Miklas and those types of guys as well. well I mean, Moore majored him last year, right? Wrestled him twice, neither one of the matches were close. Um, Brucky's jumped levels, right? I don't expect a major, um, but, at, but at this point, I think that Colin Moore still has to be on a... I still think it's two tiers. Um, it's or excuse me, it's Bo Nickel on his own tier, Colin Moore on his own tier, and then you got guys like Nicholas Brucky um, on a tier after that. And then you got the Kaywood Schultz. I mean, this isn't a terribly deep weight, to be honest with you. No, it's really not. Um, anything else you guys want to bring up about this weight class? Anything else you found interesting? No, just uh, as Ben said, um, from a, doing a ranking standpoint, uh, this has actually been the biggest headache uh, <laughs> consistently from week to week, uh, 197 pounds. Talk about that, Earl. Talk about that for just a second. I want to hear about it. Well, Kaywood losing, for one, in the, for third and fourth you know, at this tournament definitely doesn't help the rankings, obviously. Yeah, and you know, you have uh, you know, Brucky, at least, he's been consistent. He's won everything. But you have a guy like Miklas who lost to Warner, and then you have some of these red shirts that are in there, like Davison. Um, you know, he he might be a guy that's actually ready to go. Um, you know, right now, but uh, you know, he he's beating a Kaywood, and you know, Kaywood he hasn't had great success at nationals, and he's kind of worked his way up into the top ten with a solid season. But uh, you know, there's just each and every week, these guys kind of are beating each other up. Uh, you know, we'll probably get to the scuffle, but that was actually a good weight class with a lot of these guys that are, you know, kind of upsetting each other, then getting upset after that. You know, it's – I would hate to be a guy ranking this weight class this because unlike a lot of other weights, okay, where, you know, your top, your, your top four, your top seven, eight guys all have similar records, here's a weight class when you start getting into the guy – who's ranked you know, after the top four, all these guys have three, four, five, six, seven losses after that, minus a Jacob Warner who only has two losses, but we just saw he just took a bad loss at this tournament. Okay, so it's got to be an absolute nightmare to rank this class. And that's kind of what I want to ask Earl to uh, maybe, you know, talk, talk a little bit about if you don't mind, only because we don't get an opportunity to sit down with a major publication um, who does rankings and actually talk about that. Tell me a little bit about, um, and, and you don't have to go really in depth, tell me a little bit about your rankings process. Um, well, especially for a weight class like this, I'm I'm kind of using kind of the most recent results, especially when these guys have all beaten each other up. Uh, you know, for instance, I'm skipping ahead to the scuffle. You know, uh, Traxler makes the finals from Stanford. You know, he beat or he lost to ILO from Virginia, who didn't have much of a track record from last year. He lost to him twice in Vegas. Uh, Aiello kind of takes a funny loss at South Beach Duels, and mm -hmm. Traxler kind of slides ahead of him. Um, there's going to be a lot of coaches and parents who could write me at that weight class and say, well, my kid's beating this guy, 
and uh, but he's also lost to number fifteen and number nineteen and unranked. So uh, it's it's very difficult trying to figure this one out uh, more so than others. But what you're saying is, and, and it makes sense, is just because you beat one guy and you have a really good win doesn't mean that you're going to end up being ranked ahead of that guy if that guy's got a better pedigree. Absolutely, and you're you're trying to look at the big picture, um, you know, the whole season, everything put together uh, when doing the rankings. You know, obviously, as we get farther and farther into the season, uh, a loss or a win the first week of February is going to mean a lot more to me than an open the first week of November. And I just wanted you to be able to explain that because I think a lot of people have trouble with rankings and they say, well, you know, my guy beat this guy, ILO beat this guy, so there's no way he could ever be ranked below him. And that's just not true. Look, I mean, in college, a lot of people are so close that you're going to, you're going to, Logan Parks is going to beat Larry Early. Larry Early's got a better track record. Logan Parks isn't all of a sudden going to hop Larry Early in the rankings and put him at four. So, you know, and, and I just, I just wanted you to explain that because not every day we get to sit down with somebody who does some, you know, rankings um, that are, you know, being used by some national publications for, um, for their dual mates. So that was kind of cool. So, and while we're on this topic, I want your opinion, Earl. This is one of the, the things, I don't really have an issue with the way anybody does their rankings. As long as you have a process and you stick to that process and that is your method and you can defend that method, I think it's fine. The one, my biggest issue when it comes to rankings is first rankings of the new season people basing the rankings off of how guys finished at the previous year's NCAAs rather than looking at the entire track record do you start your your initial rankings based off of the last the finishes at the last NCAAs uh, as far as maybe like starting off my initial draft of it all, that's kind of where I start from. But then you kind of go deeper and say, okay, this guy finished fourth in the country, and the guy that was sixth actually beat him twice head to head. So, you know, I can put the number six guy ahead of the number four, and to me, it makes sense. And I do think it's kind of lazy just to say, okay, number one. To you know, just going straight down the line. Okay, the round of twelve guys next. He's number right. eight. Then the you know the round before the round of sixteen. You know these guys are next. You know I think it's kind of lazy just slotting them in automatically like that. But that is kind of where I start. Uh, you know before anything's ever published, and then kind of you know look at these resumes and see if we have head-to-head matchups. Uh, you know from. And I try to go with, again, NCAAs being the most recent, and, you know, that's a tournament everybody's training for. You know, you can say these guys are peaking in uh, January for this tournament. They're pe- peaking here and there, but everybody's trying to peak for March. So, you know, that's the one that I'm weighing most heavily. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Makes a lot of sense there. Um, let's go ahead and uh, finish up Midlands and move on to 285 pounds. Um this was actually a, a rather interesting weight class, in my opinion. Um, you saw Sam Stoll, who we haven't seen much of this year, minus, I think, one duel. Um, obviously, he was the one seed um, in this tournament. You've got – you had a whole slew of the top ten ranked heavyweights, um, including some guys that are in red shirt or was in red shirt. Um, what are your thoughts about this weight class? Yeah, it's pretty funny. You have you know, Tanner Hall, who's a guy that's – red shirting that's almost like 25 years old makes no <laughs> sense to me by the way uh so he won the whole thing so you know to me from kind of a ranking standpoint that was kind of irrelevant but um you know anthony cassiope that was a guy that i was looking at at the beginning of the tournament 
And, you know, based on his results coming into it, I think he pinned 10 of his 11 opponents, uh, you know, coming into the Midlands. So I almost thought that he might win the whole thing. You know, Cassiope, is a, it was a guy that's basically won every tournament he's entered this season, um, having a phenomenal season in red shirt. You know, I think we saw him kind of come down to earth a little bit in this tournament, ultimately finishing in seventh place. But I will say this is probably the first tournament he's been in this year where he's seen this type of depth at heavyweight. Um, you know, and, and, and we saw how he responded to that. So, uh, again, let's go back to Tanner Hall for a second. All right. I would think a guy like Tanner Hall, who has been on the podium before, who is getting up there in age, I mean, mid-20s at least, uh, might have been pushing 30 he, at this uh, point. Him and Nick Wisdowski were ranked like one and two at the same weight class coming out of high school. That's just baffling to me. But you would think, in a, in, of all years, why redshirt this year when heavyweight is basically up for grabs? We saw Tanner Hall. I think he's got one loss this year in an open tournament. It was a very close three to two loss to Gable Stevenson, right? I think it was three to two. Um, who with a um, what's it called uh, controversial takedown? That okay. Stevenson got so and, and right I, there. And honestly, I think most people have either um, Stoll or Desi ranked first in their rankings. Um, obviously, Desi just went down the other night in his first match back collegiately this year. Um, Gable Stevenson, I think the majority of people would agree, is probably the number one guy in this weight class. But why have Tanner Hall in red shirt right now? It makes no sense to me. I guess uh, Arizona State's just trying to load up for when the Valencias and Shields and that whole class is seniors that, you know, have, you know, yeah, teamers in the lineup and kind of have one last go with those guys. Yeah, Ben said Courtney slots in at 25. So, you know, they, they should have a pretty good team next year. They got a big recruiting class coming in. I don't know, maybe a couple of those guys – come in and can wrestle immediately so I guess they're trying to just throw in all their marbles for next year for a big year I don't agree with it I, I don't agree with the approach at least not with Arizona State and not with this with this team Why? And not with Tanner Hall because we've talked about this before ad nauseum next year is never guaranteed there are so yeah. many variables yeah. that come into place for next year and we're talking about a team like Arizona State who hasn't even I don't even think they've they've brought home a trophy at the national tournament the last few years is that correct Right? I don't even think no, they, they haven't. They've been in the top ten, right? They've been in the right. top ten, but I don't think they've even pushed the top four. Yeah, yeah, yeah just they, last year. Just I last year. 10. So they've been in the top ten once, okay, and that was last year. So let's let's get up into that trophy contention before right. we talk about, right. hey, we're making a run run here. Tanner Hall, he's getting up there in age, okay? Again, heavyweight is wide open this year. Tanner Hall could could start this year and be a title contender well, with Gable's, this weight class. Gable's going to be there next year. It ain't like Gable graduates. And know? I think I think heavyweight may even get a little tougher next year. Yeah, okay. Because Dan Kirkland about to come in and win a title. You got a lot of young guys at 285 this year. A lot of young guys who are having a lot of success right now. They're only going to get better next year as well. So Mason Paris, right? We had this conversation around the dinner table last night as we were drinking some cocktails. Is there? Is there a harder person to rank right now than Mason Paris, who has phenomenal wins, just beat Desi. Um, he's split with Stencil, um, but then he's lost to Singletary. He's lost to Conan Jennings. Um, you know, he's got another loss out there. Earl, as a man who ranks heavyweights, where do you got him? I don't even know. After that Desi match, uh, I went and looked at, you know, his season record, 
and kind of started to see where he'd slot in and then just gave up and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it uh, You know, when the rankings come out because uh, I don't really know. So he's you got know, th- I, if, if you're asking me where he fits, I think he's probably 12-ish just talent right now. But, you know, I don't know if that's where he, rankings are going to translate to. He's got three losses on the season right now, okay? Um, he lost to Matt Stencil. Ultimately, he's also beaten Matt Stencil as well. Um, he's got an early season loss to Chase Singletary for Ohio State. And then he just uh, – and then he's lost to Jennings as well. Um, he's got that great win over Desi. Obviously, the biggest win on his, on his resume this year. Um, and, and Trent Hilger as well from Wisconsin. Great, great point there, Ben. Um, for one – Mason Paris is a very, very talented freshman heavyweight, and I don't doubt that he's going to have great success at the collegiate level. But I will say this. I'm go- going to temper my expectations even after the Desi victory. This was Desi's first collegiate match back after being off the mat all first semester, okay? Now, it was a ha- he beat him handedly. He did beat him very convincingly, but I think when it comes March, Desi's a guy, tried and true veteran, multiple-time All-American. He's wrestled at the world stage. I would definitely, definitely, if I'm a betting man, I'm picking Desi in a rematch. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that, Brandon. I don't agree. Um, the, the way that he beat him that handedly, well, let me De- take that Desi back. Desi took third last year. I know. Let me take that back. Um, I think that we have to pause a little bit more than just saying guaranteed that Desi beats him next time. Mason Paris, remember we saw it with Adam Kuhn, right? You know, really dominant heavyweight. Was ranked number one at the time at once at one point in time as a freshman. Doesn't all American heavyweight's a different animal, boys. That's especially my point. A smaller, yeah, no, that's, that's I mean, my point. Especially a smaller heavyweight. You know, he lost to Conan Jennings, who's a full size heavyweight. You know, he had trouble with him. Lost to Singletary, who's not a full size heavyweight. So, I, I think it's going to be really hard to rank him. But I I wouldn't annoy him a guaranteed all American at this point. No, I would not. But that, that that was the point I was making and saying like I would. You know, I would have to pick Desi in a rematch with Paris later on in the season, especially at the national tournament if they were to meet up again. Um, I think it's great. Look, Mason's done everything he's been asked to do to this point in the season. He's performed very well. The losses that he's taken, I would not call head-scratching, okay? He lost to a Singletary, another big recruit, okay? He lost to Conan Jennings. Conan Jennings, okay, was ranked close to the top 10 to start the season out. Was around the 12 guy, yeah. I think, last yeah. year. Was he around the 12? Uh, he's around a twelve, I think, two years ago. Two years ago, so but it, he's beaten Desi. I mean, he's you know he's got good it, wins. Exactly, uh, you know Jennings has good wins as well. But again, while I think it was great that Mason Paris's red shirt got pulled, great victory against Desi. People need to look at the big picture when it comes to that match against Desi because again, this was Desi's first match back. One final um, comment on heavyweight: we know it's down this year. But there's a lot of freshmen that are going to be really awesome, and we're going to have. I think heavyweight's going to oh, be yeah. great again soon. Gable Stevenson, Trent Hilger, Tate Orndorff, um, Chase Singletary, Mason Paris, Cassiope, you know Zach Elam, Elam from Missouri. Right. So um, heavyweight is down only because it's young, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. No, I, I think heavyweight is going to be one of those weights, just like the last couple of years where it was a very exciting weight class. It's going to become that way again here real soon. I agree, and to build off what Ben said, I wrote an article probably two or three weeks ago now about that very great topic, article uh, about I think I called it the beginning of the heavyweight revolution or, or the uh, renaissance. renaissance. Or the, yeah, that's renaissance. my word. Yeah. There we go. Um, I wrote it and couldn't even think of it, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I echo those sentiments from Ben. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys. So Midlands first big holiday tournament. 
Southern Scuffle, the next one. Let's go ahead and dive right into the Southern Scuffle. Okay, the first impression at 125, uh, you had Rico Montoya from Northern Colorado. That's a emerging program. He's the first finalist in school history at the Southern Scuffle. Um, he's put together a pretty solid season so far. Um, he got... First year down at 125, right? She yeah, competed at 133 yeah. in past years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, two-time NCAA qualifier at 133. We sh- I probably should have said something when we were talking about Pantaleo earlier, but I'm kind of wary sometimes when you get a senior that's dropping a weight for the first time ever, first time in years. And, uh, you know, it seems to be working out well for him. He got a win over uh, Allen from Chattanooga, Mackle from Iowa State. Those are good wins. Um, but then uh, the finals against Piccinini, um a couple weeks ago, he kind of gave him the business, and this was uh, a little little closer, 7-2, to two, still pretty decisive, though. Um, I'm going to flip around and give you a question. Um, we talked about this before briefly. After seeing Piccinini so far, um, after seeing Spencer Lee lose, uh, could Piccinini be a factor in winning a title now? Um, I would tend to say... No, but, you know, he, he could have the uh, the tools to beat Spencer Lee, at least on the mat. Uh, I'm going to say no, okay? I'm going to say no for a couple of reasons. One, I think Nick Piccinini is an undersized 125-pounder, um, and that's not the end-all, be-all, but I do think it poses problems when you're wrestling guys as great and on the level of Spencer Lee's um, and now Sebastian Rivera and, and guys like that. Um I do like that Piccinini is good in multiple positions on the mat, okay? Um, however, you put him up against a Sebastian Rivera on their feet, and I don't think he stands a chance against a guy like Rivera on his feet. Um, I also think you put him on the mat underneath Spencer Lee. Um, the Spencer Lee that we're used to seeing, I don't think he stands a chance underneath Spencer Lee on the mat. Um, so I don't I, – I really don't see him having what it takes to knock off Spencer Lee. I mean – I'm gonna put. I'll say this right now. I can't envision Spencer Lee losing to two different people in the same season. Maybe Sebastian Rivera can beat him again, losing twice to the same guy. But I don't see him losing to two different people in the same season this year. Ben. So the neat thing about this is they wrestled last year, Piccinini and Spencer Lee in a duel, and Spencer Lee did a Patrick Glory, got out to a huge lead, and then faded. And Piccinini started to mount a small comeback to 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 to, to make the score a little closer. Okay, so if we're going to say that Pat, does Patrick Glory have a chance to potentially beat Spencer Lee? If we're going to say that, then I think that we get we have to say Piccinini has a chance as well because Piccinini is actually better on his feet than Patrick Glory is, um, and probably equally as tough on top. I'm not saying Patrick Glory has a chance. Okay, no, no, I, I yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm saying in our head if, if that's what we're thinking. I got you. Um, I, I'm not I'm not saying that Piccinini can't beat Sebastian Rivera. I, you you say that he's better than Piccinini on his feet. He probably is, but I'm not sure that he's that much better on his feet than Piccinini. I tell you what, if one person um, on that Oklahoma State team has made a jump this year, it's Piccinini. It's Nicholas Piccinini. He's made more of a jump than anybody else on that team, and it's not close, in my opinion. That guy is out there in the streets just beating the hell out of people. Yeah, I I would say... Um, he is one of a couple of guys on the Oklahoma State roster that has made jumps and is having a fantastic season this year. Um, I think when it comes to 125 pounds, like with some of the other weight classes, where you've got a great um, three, four, five guys at the top of that bracket, 
bracketing is going to play a major factor of what happens at the national tournament. Everybody's going to want to be on the opposite side of whomever. Um, I just don't see it at this point in time. I do think Piccinini, depending on what side of the bracket that he's on, could challenge to be in the finals. But as of now, I would still pick against him in a match against Spencer Lee and a match against Sebastian Rivera. What I am very interested to see is a match between Piccinini and Ronnie Bresser. I think that would be a great match, contrasting styles. Um, and that would... Sh- that his... Um, I'm not sure if they duel or not, but his the outcome of that match would give me a lot more data to change my mind on Piccinini at this point in the season. But you're right, Ben. Piccinini's made jumps. He's having a great season. Um, let's. One of the intriguing things about this weight class, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, was the two Penn State freshmen. You and that I spent too much time together. Competed in this weight class. That's exactly where I wanted to go. <laughs> you know, you had Brody Teske, um, obviously competed at this weight class. Um, I read in the media that Gavin Teasdale competed at this weight class. I can't find him in the bracket, though. Can you guys help me find him? Yeah, no, Teasdale was supposed to compete attached, but then it didn't happen. And then Christian Piles posted something on Facebook. Uh, about his source, and he showed his source. Was it Twitter? Yeah, Facebook? Twitter, and you know whatever. And it was just a d- damn nightmare. Bottom line is, he was supposed to compete attached, which really I doubt Penn State really wanted that to be out there because it probably wasn't guaranteed to compete because there's probably some weight issues with him getting down. I mean, he's a bigger guy, so you know what they did is they brought him and they said, hey, if you can make the weight, we'll throw you in there. Turns out maybe he just didn't have the great cut or something. Something didn't happen. Maybe there was some administrative reason why he didn't wrestle. Didn't wrestle. I don't know why that was reported so early. I thought that that was somebody jumping the gun there. Um, but they they got Brody Teske, four-time Iowa State champ, if I'm not mistaken. A little bit smaller of a um, of a wrestler. And they also got Devin Schnupp um, wrestling. One thing before we dive into this, I read on – I get on BWI, and uh, we read a lot about that stuff. And I heard that um, um, there was a photographer there, and they were taking a team photo afterwards. Um for the for the championship team and Schnupp looked and says, Do you really even want me in it? That's terrible. Devin Schnupp should be proud as hell that he's freaking starting for Penn State wrestling. <laughs> I hope a, he doesn't feel like that. He should not feel that way. Because here's a guy he the one thing you can see you cannot take away from Devin Schnupp and this is where I'm gonna pay some Penn State some compliments. Sure. Is Devin Schnupp even though he is outclassed in almost every college wrestling match he competes in, he never stops battling. And you know what? When he graduates, he's going to walk away with four national championship team, you know, team national title rings on his fingers when he walks away. Right? Four? At least four, right? If they win this year? They're going to win this year and then next year. I don't know if they're going to win next year. But, yeah, but, I mean, he's going to have some time. I mean, he, he's, he's been on national championship teams. As a starter on the biggest, one of the biggest D1 programs in the country, national championship teams, dude, you got nothing to be ashamed of because unlike a lot of guys that would be could be in your position, you don't go out there with your head on the mat. You battle every second of every match. You're just undersized and you're out. Class was a guy that, what, wrestled 113 pounds in high school? Yeah, I believe so, and that's kind of the unfortunate thing with these programs, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma State, these teams that are always in contention for national titles, you know, they want to have solid, not even solid, great guys at every spot in the weight class, every weight class, Um, so you're going to get, you know, looking for the new freshman that comes in and knocks out one of these, you know, program guys that's been around, done the right things, worked hard, and 
you know, gets knocked out of the lineup by a freshman or is potentially going to go down to a freshman. It's unfortunate, but like you said, he uh, he shouldn't hold his head down. You know, he should be very proud of himself. I don't think Brody Teske had the results they probably wanted from him in this tournament, um, but it is Teske's first major test of the season. Um, this weight class was it was a rather tough weight class um, at this point in time. I don't know the status of Teasdale. Um, I, I really can't comment on that, but I don't think, I, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to know the status of Teasdale. At this point in time, Devin Schnupp is the starter for Penn State at 125 pounds. Devin Schnupp is a starter. I don't think you're going to pull Teske. Um, he's proven that he's not ready, and that's not a bad thing. Malik Heisman ain't ready. Trust me, guys. I'm not. I'm not Penn State hating. You know, in the Des, uh, Teske beats a Shakur Laney, who had a tight one the year that uh, with Cruz at the NCAA's the year that Cruz won it. Um, so Teske goes out and beats a Shakur Laney. Great win. And then he loses to a Warner, who is just more of a physical specimen, gets teched on top. You know what? We see inconsistencies. Hey, that's the nature of being a freshman, right? You're going to see inconsistencies, except for the best of the best. You're going to see inconsistencies. Um, so I think that Penn State's winning the NCAA tournament, running away with it, with Devin Schnupp at 125. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. There's no reason to pull either of those guys out of red shirt. You don't need them right now. Um, Warner had a great tournament. But hats off to Camacho from North Carolina State, the redshirt freshman who actually took third in this weight class, had some very, very impressive wins. Um, here's a guy that I didn't really know about, to be honest, before this tournament. I'm interested to see his career development after this weekend, or after this past week. All right, 141 pounds, man. Earl, kick us off. What are you thinking? We're gonna go 125 or I'm sorry, 133, 133 pounds. I'm sorry, guys. Not 121? Not 121. Okay, so this one, you know, this was one of the more intriguing weights of the tournament. You had your top three seeds are all freshmen. Um, they're all fun, interesting guys to watch. Um, the semi-match between Gomez and Bravo Young, you know, that was one I was looking forward to, and it didn't disappoint. You know, Bravo Young was kind of sluggish uh, his early matches. Um, he's kind of dominated the competition beforehand. First couple matches, he wins you know, decisions against guys that aren't nationally ranked, you know, close decisions. And then he comes out firing and, you know, jumps out to a lead on uh, Gomez. And then, uh, you know, Gomez does what he does. You know, some people are going to say he got caught. And, you know, I, I hate that term, especially when a guy like Gomez He's a wild guy. He does, you know, crazy stuff, unorthodox stuff. He, you know, the kitchen sink you mentioned earlier, he goes with the double unders and, uh, you know, trips him, pins him right in front of the Penn State bench. And, you know, that that was, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a cool match. Uh, but then you have Dayton Fix waiting in the finals. And I think you mentioned earlier, he seems to be kind of on that top four tier by themselves at 133. And, uh, you know, he was just impressive. He was never flustered. You know, he didn't get in any bad situations like Gomez and was just solid for seven minutes. I agree with you. I hate the term got caught because Roman Bravo Young did not get caught in that match. Getting caught to me is where uh, maybe, you know, you take, you take a head inside single leg shot and a guy catches you in a splatle or something because you're being irresponsible in that position. Um, and, and an argument can be made that that's not even getting caught. Gomez was down. He knew he was down big. He knew what he had to do, and he went straight after it, jacked him up, and threw him on his back. That's not getting caught. That's you getting tossed on your head. 
that is him getting tossed on his head. Two points on this, and, and, and I think they're, they're going to be a dichotomy. I'll give you one and a half. They're, there's going to be a dichotomy here, which is kind of neat. Roman Bravo Young is freaking awesome. He's amazing. That guy, he, I mean, he was beating the piss out of Gomes at the time. You know, I think it was like 5-1 or something like that. Um, really slick takedowns. I mean, he looked good that day. I know he didn't look great the day before. You know, we hear the proverbial he was potentially Ill, sick or whatever. But he looked good. He's going to be excellent. But Austin Gomez, man, that guy's got ice running through his veins, and I love it. He's like, I'm down. He headlocks the dude, or no, double under, step throughs the dude, throws him right in front of Kale Sanderson. Kale's just sitting there, and Gomez just looks into, like, somehow finds a camera, finds one of the cameras in the crowd, and just looks at it. And I mean, like, just like, in a, like, almost like a jovial way. That dude goes big. He's beaten Austin DeSanto this year before already. And that's a great thing that you brought up right there he that guy has ice in his veins look at what he did against roman bravo young but go back to that match against desanto and the yeah. iowa iowa state duel gomez needed a pin to for iowa state to win that match and he was beating desanto and he went out went for that lat needed drop, the pin got the lat he could have just got the win unfortunately wasn't able to secure the pin. DeSanto got off his back. But to me, that's not a guy catching people. That's a guy that knows how to scrap upper body, and he's dangerous. And that's a team guy, too. Remember, he was one of the only people that stayed when Dresser came. Everybody else left. He stayed. He commits to Iowa State. He goes out, and he's like, you know what? It's going to look really good on my resume if I just beat DeSanto, but we're not going to win the duel. So I'm going big. I want to win the duel. And he goes big. I love this dude. I love him a lot. Um, granted, he was a little outclassed against Fisk. F- excuse me, Fisk. Battled with him, Fix just Carlton got, Fisk. Carlton, Carlton Fisk. Th- he was throwing sliders at him. No, Fix hit him in that overtie shuck. Everybody knows about it. Stop calling it a slide by. It's not a slide by. It's an overtie shuck. Anybody? Thank you. Yeah. So, but but other than that, um, I like Bravo Young. Love Austin Gomez, and I love Austin Gomez's demeanor. And Fix is just ice cold too. I really, really wanted to see a Roman Bravo Young versus Dayton Fix match, and the reason is is because. I think those guys are very similar in a lot of ways. Probably the two most athletic 133-pounders in that weight class. Bravo Young may be the quickest wrestler I've ever seen. His instincts and his quickness are amazing, especially for a true freshman. And I think Dayton Fix is is the same way in a lot of ways. I would love to see them wrestle. Um, At this point in time, you still don't know what to expect from Roman Bravo Young because he doesn't really have that signature win at 133 pounds. Obviously, he had the win at, um, over Milhoff when Milhoff uh, bumped up. But everything that we've seen out of Bravo Young says that he is one of the top eight guys in that weight class, in my opinion, thus far. What do you think, Earl? Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be top eight at this point. I'm, I might, and I'm not talking from a ranking standpoint. I'm just talking about you know the eyeball test, what I think. I think he might be a little lower than that, but... Uh, you know, I did like to see the you know, eyeball test, huh? Yeah, just you know. See, the eyeball test is what tells me he is. Yeah, Earl's going eyeballs deep here. And um, <laughs> thank you, Ben. <laughs> Earl, you think from the, you think from the eyeball test he doesn't look like a top eight dude? I mean, look at the top eight at one thirty three. It's freaking lights out. You know, who are you going to knock out? <sighs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I, mean, I think that's a really good point. Here's somebody I'm concerned about 
at 133 pounds, and I shouldn't be because he's a two-time All-American. He's placed second and fourth, but he's up a weight class, and that's Ethan Lezak. Um, I still need to see more from Ethan, Ethan Lezak against the upper echelon guys in this weight class coming up a weight from the last two years, okay? And how is he going to do against Aroma Bravo Young? Bravo Young is so quick and so technical, and one of the things that he does so well is counterattack off of other people's you know off of other people's shots, and that's what concerns me against guys like Elizak. Now, can he get out from Elizak? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But there's a lot of great guys in that top eight. But if I was gonna pick a guy that I'm like, you know what? Who's gonna get knocked out of that? Ethan Lezak has some still has some questions that I'd like to see answered at this point in the season. I'll throw that caveat out there as Ben always wants me to. Lezak's on my fantasy team. I'm concerned. Uh, no, and that that's a great point. You know, he he isn't you know physically dominant like he was at 125 pounds. I was just saying Lezak's a stud. I wouldn't be worried about him. All right, let's go to 141, guys. Um, this weight class, you know, you got Nick Lee, you got Cade Brock. You've got some, uh, you know, you got some 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 redshirt freshmen with a lot of talent in there. Ray Woods ultimately made the finals against Nick Lee. Um, ben, give me your comments, man. What what are your thoughts on this weight class? Nick Lee is a title contender. You heard it here first, brother. You think Nick Lee's a title contender? I think Nick Lee can beat everybody. Now, I don't. I, I still think he's. I think I still think the fourth place ranking is where I see him, and I and I think that. He, I don't think he's quite as good as the Ironmans because Ironmans had some success over him. The McKenna's, McKenna's beaten him, and the Yannis. But I tell you what, Nick Lee has jumped a level, and he was really good last year. He's only gotten better, guys. I'm telling you, Nick Lee is going to be scary this year. He, he can beat anybody at this weight class. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I'm not saying you're wrong at all, but I'd, I'd like to hear from you. What did you see from Nick Lee that makes you think he's going to beat a guy like Yanni? Maturity. Okay, so last year we, he had pace, right? Last year he had pace. He was stupid. He would run through a brick wall, and you know, sometimes to his detriment. This year he's still the same way. A but, lot like Zane was when yeah, Zane was a freshman. Right, right. This year, same thing. We'll run through a brick wall, but he's starting to wrestle a little smarter. Okay, you start to see some of this technique when he gets on Rear Woods. He knows when to shelf that leg the right way instead of trying to finish too quick because he's so excited to try to score and keep that pace up. He's starting to wrestle a little more mature, and I tell you what, a mature Nick Lee is going to be scary for anybody. Earl, thoughts? I mean, I, I really uh, kind of echo this uh, sentiments, and I really want to see him against uh, you know one of those top three. Um, you know, I guess uh, Penn State and Ohio State are going to – duel at some point so you know we're, we're gonna see that with mckenna but yeah I, I definitely have seen the growth uh over the past year from lee so ben i i agree with everything you said there i will say this though my, you know where i disagree is this i think i think nick lee has a great chance to beat a guy like jaden ironman because if you wrestle very solid against jaden ironman especially if you can get to a lead on jaden ironman and then not get sucked into his um, into his wildness that he likes to get after um, and make him press, I think you've got a great chance of winning that match. That's what guys like um, Joy McKenna does against him. You know, you get out there, you score some very solid takedowns against him. Yanni D just did it as well. And then you fend off all the bullshit that he throws at you, and that's okay. I think Nick Lee can beat Jaden Ironman, and Jaden Ironman's fantastic. I think that Yanni and Joey McKenna, though, are still a level or two above Nick Lee at this point because of their ability to be so great in all three positions on the mat. We've talked about this. Great attacks, great finishes, great riders, 
and get out from bottom. And that's where I think he's going to be outclassed by those guys. It'll take a very special match right. and a very perfectly executed match right. for him to beat those guys. And I'm not sure he can beat all of them at the tournament t- to win the title. We've just seen that one random match between people, right? And I'm, people, but I mean, just generally, a guy who's not favored, but he's an up-and-comer, and he's looking real well, and all of a sudden he's out 4-1 to because he just took the dude down twice in the first period, and everybody's like, what the hell just happened? Exactly. And I could see that happening. And, and look, I'm not a Penn State lover, but I love the way that dude wrestles. He's not on my fantasy team. He was last year um, by some terrible trade that I made, but he's not on my fantasy team. And, um, you know... But but I like him. I like him a lot. And I also like Real Woods. You know a match I'm excited to see with Nick Lee, honestly? Yeah, I'd like to hear it. I can't wait to see Nick Lee wrestle Kanan Store in a duel because we're seeing Kanan Store, the Kanan Store we thought we were going to see when he came to college. I think we're seeing him now having a great season, one close loss to Jaden Ironman earlier in the season. I want to see him and Nick Lee wrestle because, to me, they're kind of similar in a sense, where they're both just, they go, 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 go. I think Lee's technique right now is getting a little bit better than Kanan Store, but Kanan Store is probably one of the scrappiest guys at that weight class, so I'm really looking forward to a match between those two guys. Earl, I want to know your opinion on this. Um, Ray Al Woods, big recruit coming out of high school, um, Shoegate from Ironman, Ben and I were there, fantastic, fantastic, <laughs> five minutes to watch. Um, he's in red shirt with Stanford, has a great tournament. Now, obviously, he was aided by the medical forfeit of Cade Brock to go ahead and make the semifinals, um, where he then beat a tough Nick Gill. Um, are we going to see his shirt pulled? What do you think? You think we see his red shirt pulled? Should they pull his red shirt? Yeah, that's always, that's always the question. Um, should they? I think, I think we'll see him. I do. And that's no real, uh, you know, inside information or that's just, uh, my, my guess. But, uh, you know, he really proved that he belongs, uh, you know, and with these top recruits, kind of like Ben was saying, you know, maybe they're able to win a good match, but then, you know, lose to some other guys. They need that year for development. Um, if, if he's ready to compete at the top level, you know, he beats a Nick Gill in the semis, you know, that's a pretty good win. Um, I think the first week of the year he may have won the Princeton Open and had a couple good wins there. Um, you talk about the eyeball test. You know, he he kind of faded a little bit in the finals, but he did give Nick Lee a run for his money, you know, that first maybe period and a half or so. I, th- I think he took him down, right? Yeah. We've, it always goes back to inconsistencies with, with freshmen. Um, and you, you, you take – freshmen can have great tournaments – they can have a great tournament, but can they put it together for a full season? I'm going to use Missouri's heavyweight Zach Elam right now as an example. Elam had a great start to the season, went out to Cliff Keen, took third place, okay, was doing really well. We just saw him struggle greatly at the South Beach Duels where I think he dropped three out of four matches out there you w- against guys you probably don't expect him to lose to. Now, not slouches by any means. Sweeney from Cornell is, is a tough guy. It's the guys like that, but... It's again, it's the inconsistencies of young freshmen who are not at the level of the Dayton Fix type, the Spencer Lee types, and those types of guys. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they pull his red shirt. What about Cade Brock? I think he's struggling this season. We saw him medical forfeit out, you know, in the quarterfinals, um, in, in a match he was supposed to wrestle against Real Woods. What's going on with him? Uh, you know, I don't know whether you know he's moving up a weight. I don't know whether he's not. Uh, 
a good fit at 41, whether he has something physically because, you know, he's he's uh, not looked great all year. Um, he's dropped a couple matches you wouldn't expect him to, so you always have to wonder if he has some sort of minor injury that's lingering and, you know, him uh, medically defaulting out of the tournament kind of leads you to think that that's the case. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. Um, I think I think he'll come around, but, uh, again... If healthy. Know, yeah, if healthy, if healthy. But, uh, you know, we don't have a good... Uh, Kind of read on things at this point. Gotcha. What the hell's happening to Kid Brock? That's what we're talking about. Buddy. I know. Sorry, I just took a pee break, guys. What's going on with that dude? Can I do still scrap or not? He's on my fantasy team, and I need to figure this out. I don't know, Ben. We just talked about it. Give us your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a weight issue. He's he's he was a he was a long thirty three. So it's not like he's a he's still taller than a lot of the people he wrestles at forty one, and he's just as big. Is his technique not translating? I don't know. It's confusing to me. I think he's hit a mental wall that he needs to get over. Luckily, he's got a lot of people in his corner to help him do that because he's got all the skill in the world. He just remember Dean Howe when he hit that mental wall. Ugh, you know it, it happens, guys. It happens. So I, I'd like to see Cade Brock scrap. Uh, I'd, I'd, I, you know, I, this medical forfeit scares me. Was it precautionary? Was it a real injury? If it was a real injury, what does Oklahoma State do? Do they drop a feller down? Put stick Blue, Blue Wallen back in if that's possible? You know, I don't know. Again, as we talked about last week, we got some answers finally from the Oklahoma State team about where where their guys are going to be, but now we just have more questions. I've never seen a team this good, more in flux, this late in the season. I think we're going to get into the Caden Capella conversation here at the next weight class when we talk about 149. Cade Brock, you got to look at his results this year, okay? Um, He's lost to Mitch McKee. He lost to Dominic Demas. He lost to Sam Turner. Those are his three losses on the season, okay? I would call the Sam Turner loss a head-scratcher. Um, I think after what we're seeing out of Dominic Demas, that's becoming less of a head-scratcher as the season goes on. Um, the Mitch McKee loss, look, those guys have wrestled so many times going back to the age group level. Um, McKee has never been able to beat him in a folk-style match. He got over that hump this year. I don't know whether you'd call that a head-scratcher or not. I would say no at this point in time. I don't think it's a weight issue either, Ben. I, I-, I think... Cade Brock was a very good size 133 pounder. 133 to 141 is not a huge difference. Okay, I think he is big enough to compete at this weight class. But one of the things I will say about Cade Brock is I have not seen much difference in him from the time that he came out of redshirt as a freshman until now. We've talked about this before. What has changed in his game to make him jump that level? Where has he gotten, where has he improved at or gotten better at on the mat? where he wasn't at that level as a freshman. He hasn't gotten better on top, okay? Nothing's really changed from bottom. Not that he really had a big issue on bottom anyway. And he's still doing the exact same stuff on his feet. So maybe maybe guys are starting to figure him out a little bit. And if that's the case, if guys are starting to figure him out, then to me, it's not a weight issue. It's not a mental issue. Now it's a stylistic issue, and that becomes problematic as the season goes on. Yeah, and I, and I think it is. Extra, I think it, you do extrapolate that when you are up a weight, when you're not. Because remember, he was a big thirty-three. Now he's just an average size forty-one. So he can't get away with maybe some of the stuff he used to be able to get away with. We'll see. I'm not counting this dude out. I love to watch him wrestle. Um, I forget who said it. Um, 
Somebody wrote this on the open mat. They said it looks like Cade Brock was coached by the highlight videos from YouTube because it's true because that's all he did. It's like he's, such a, he's a highlight reel, right, when he wrestles well. And you know what? Wrestling is better when Cade Brock's good because I love watching oh, absolutely. this dude scrap. Absolutely. So. I mean, the past two years, the guy was one of the most fun guys to watch on his feet. Right. I mean, yeah. hitting, he, inside trippy from anywhere. Yep. Except Monterey Bridges. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Bridges put him on his back. He tried. Um, so what, anyway. what do you think about 149 now, homie? Let's get to 149. I think there's a lot of intrigue here. Um, ultimately, number two seed, Caden G. Feller, Oklahoma State, won this weight class. Um, and I think there's so much that can be talked about this guy right now, okay? Um, I've spoken with Earl about this. Ben, I've, I've gotten your thoughts ad nauseum. And you guys are both in agreement. Um surprisingly, that you both think that Gefeller's time at this weight class is short-term and ultimately Lou Allen's going to be the man that comes back and mans his spot when he gets back from injury. And I'm going to go on record right now saying that would be the biggest mistake Oklahoma State can make at this time. Um, I think Caden Gefeller, or G. Feller, however it is you say it, it, right now is probably one of the most underappreciated slash maybe even underranked guys in this weight class. And yes, I know he's on my fantasy team, but that has nothing to do with it. Here's a guy that's got wins over Tommy Thorne and Mitch Feinsilver. I know the Mitch Feinsilver one is a little bit of controversy in Ben's opinion. I get that. Um, 14 out of 17 of his wins this year have been by bonus point. He's done everything that you can ask him to do. He was a big recruit, very big recruit coming out of high school. And I think for them to take this spot away from him after how he's been performing would be irresponsible. Go, Earl. I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say. Just because, um, you know, I, as you said, after the start he's had to the season, you know, how can you take him out of the lineup? But, uh, you know, Boo Llewellyn, you know, he is no joke either. So I don't know exactly how they're going to handle this. Um, I do know he's been out with a injury for a while, so you know he might have difficulty even getting back at the end of the year. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they do have uh, quite a decision on their hands because you know he he went through quite the group of guys. You know, we said that the tournament's kind of watered down a little bit, but you know, quarterfinals over Verclear and semis over Russell Rolfing from Bakersfield. He rolled Rolfing. Yes. I mean, absolutely dismantled him. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you no, there. No, no. And then, then, you know, however you want to view the fine silver match. But, uh, you know, he did get all of those wins, and uh, he's got a great start to the season. And, yeah, we've had so many great freshmen across all these weights. He is getting overlooked, I think, by a lot of people. Again, 14 out of 17 wins this year by bonus point victory. He's given up. The only matches that he's given up over three points, he gave up five and he gave up six. But in those matches, he beat Davion Jeffries 11-6. to six. And in the other match against Dusty Hone at the Reno, he gave up five points. He won that match 13-5. to five. I don't see how you can take him out of the lineup right now. He is rolling. He is hot. Second Southern Scuffle Championship in a row for him. Last year, beating the Nick Lee that we just raved about in the finals. Ben, give me your thoughts, man. I know you disagree. No, I, I don't. Well, I don't disagree with, with what you're saying with regards to his success this year. And I, I think that he will be in the lineup somewhere at the end of the year. 
by whether by injury or practice medical forfeited. So Grafella, remember, he's certified at 41. He has the ability to go down there. Bulu Wallen, if he comes back, I mean, there was a reason why Bulu Wallen was the starter and Grafella wasn't the starter, starter previously. Obviously, Bulu Wallen was the better guy in the room over Grafella. Um but th- that doesn't mean that Grafella is not a great wrestler. He just beat a he beat an excellent Mitch Feinsilver. And yeah, you know, I thought I thought that I'm not saying that the match was that, that the what I, what I'm just saying is all, all I said on Twitter was that Gefeller had blood time at the opportune time because Feinsilver would have wrote him out and they would have went to overtime. Well, I think but, people, I don't know who would have won. I, that I think match. there was people talking about you know. Yeah, he got blood time, but he was he was spitting the blood out of his mouth. Right. To get and I didn't say time. that. I, yeah. I didn't see it. I, I'll be honest. I didn't see it. I didn't see it or say it. I'm just saying that all I all, the only thing I made a, a, an impression of was that man that was opportune because Fine Silver would have rode him there and uh, rode him out, and he they would have went to overtime. That doesn't mean that Fine Silver would have won the match. And I'm not even saying Fine Silver's the better wrestler. You know, all I'm saying is that they, that, that I would have liked to see that happen in overtime. We didn't get to see it, but I think the is going to be there. In the end, somewhere, at some way, class, and I think that he's probably got a really good shot of making the podium at either 41 or 49. I like him at 49. I, I really do, just based on the way he's been competing and, and how that weight class is, is right now and how it's shaping up. Um, was Gio Martinez an All-American? Yeah, he was maybe three years ago. Yeah, so I think we're seeing a situation similar to what they had last year. Gio Martinez transferred from Boise to Oklahoma State, was an All American previously. Um, battled, yeah, like a seventh, eighth place finish. Battled it out. Um, ultimately, Lou Allen won the spot. Lou Allen then was an All American last year. I think he took eighth, seventh, eighth, eighth. All right, and now you're seeing another situation like this. And I, I even think that Martinez got injured last year, if I'm not mistaken, and Lou Allen took over. Um, so I think we're seeing something similar to last year. And John Smith has showed he'll go with the best guy. He'll go with the hot hand like he did last year. Um, and I'm thinking that Gefeller continues to be that hot hand. I can't wait to see how he does when he's wrestling some of these other guys inside the top eight in this weight class. Um, with that said, Penn State had two guys compete at this weight class, right? Berge and McLaren. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, I th- I, th- I think it just goes to show that uh, they, I, you know, there's not, there's no guaranteed all American at 149. You know, Penn State has a number of guaranteed all Americans. Um, 149 is not not one of them. It's actually Berkey did place third. Yeah, now, but it's one of their weaker weights. Now, and Berkey also did beat Jared Prince, who's you know a consummate guy who's he's been around for a while. Lost a close one to Fine Silver. Yeah, lost a close one to Fine Silver, but you know, he 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 did he hasn't cemented himself yet. As, as a person that, that we're guaranteeing to be on the podium. But I think, look, if, if your weakest weight's a guy that potentially could be an All-American, that's great. That's great. Now, besides 25. Obviously. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's not much to say to me except for, hey, Berge, he's wrestling at a weight class. It's probably not optimal to him. I think 57 was probably more optimal, fortunately. Unfortunately uh, for him, uh, they got uh, the best wrestler in the country there at any weight at that weight class. So... I think Bergie's fine. I, I I I'm not concerned about him. I think that he's still, no, nothing he did at this at the scuffle made me think any less of him. Now I would have thought more of him if he would have beat Feinsilver and maybe beaten Gefeller, but I don't think any less of him by losing to Feinsilver and taking third. Not at all. I mean, he finished third. He lost a one point match to the number one seed, number one seed in this bracket. Um, and I think most importantly is he made weight two days in a row and competed well. And I think that's a good a good sign for him and his chances going forward the rest of the season. 
Earl, you got any final thoughts on this weight? Yeah, and just, uh, you know, that second day, the uh, Constellation Semis, he got the win over Jared Deegan from Iowa State. So he's round of 12 guys. He's had a good year so far this year. So, you know, that's a big win for the freshman. All right, 157 pounds. Look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. If there's something else that you want to talk about in this at this weight, please throw it out there. Jason Knopf won. We expected Jason Knopf to win. Three-time scuffle champ. Um, he basically majored his way through the tournament, as you expect him to do. Um, ben, I want to hear your thought. We talked about this a little bit the other day. He wrestled his teammate, Bo Pfeiffer, in the finals. And you had some thoughts on this, and I would love for you to to kind of reiterate some of those thoughts. Well, I have no clue if this is No, true. this is all just your this is this was all just your opinion based on what you observed in that match. Those two guys didn't look like they liked each other. And I don't mean just from a competition standpoint. Obviously, in a competition standpoint, you're not going to be, you know, best friends with the person you're wrestling who's standing across from you, but they uh, you know, they didn't look at each other when they shook hands after um Nolf beat them. They didn't look, they didn't give like a back slap. Um Nolf went out there and you know, I would never say you take it easy on your teammate, but maybe you know maybe you wouldn't do certain things to try to embarrass him. You but could, he was doing Nolf moves. could have put him out of his misery. Just put him out of his yeah, misery, paint right. him. But he didn't, and he did moves like he was making up moves. He was doing these weird head pinches of the with his knees, trying to turn him. He was doing some funky stuff that you would you know normally see him do. That like not only probably inflict pain, but make another person look silly. And I, I'm all for it in terms of you know doing it against people, but he did it against his teammate. And then they shook hands, and Bo Pfeiffer couldn't even look Nolf in the eye. I'm not sure they liked each other, and I think that Jason Nolf really enjoyed beating the hell out of him. <laughs> That's all I got for that one. What about you, Earl? What do you think? <laughs> I need to go back and rewatch the match because, you know, I I wasn't too uh, you know focused in on this one, so I do uh, I do need to rewatch that then for see if we can pick up on that. All right, 165. This was a great weight class. Specifically because you have three guys in this weight class um, with great credentials. Obviously, two-time national champ Vincenzo, the one seed. You've got um, Chance Marsteller, took fourth last year in the country. What a great comeback story he's had. Um, one of the really cool things about this tournament was seeing Marsteller meet up with former teammate, Okie State guy Chandler Rogers, obviously an All-American in his, his own self. Um, Vincenzo continues to do nothing but win and it's so crazy to think that on this team of Penn State where you've got Nolf and Nickel and Mark Hall and Nick Lee and all those guys that a guy that's won two national titles and two tries may be one of the most overlooked guys on that team really by everyone else in the country I mean it's crazy isn't it I mean I feel the same way and uh you know they had a Tough weight class, you know, stud and Marsteller in the finals. You know, he, he did what he needed to do get to get by him. Um, he was tested in the quarters by a true freshman, Shane Griffith, and you know he got by him as well. Griffith took him down, right? Yeah, absolutely. Griffith, uh, Bergen Catholic. That's it. Three-time champ, four-time finalist out of New Jersey. I believe so. Yeah, um, tough guy in his own right. I believe he was a Super 32 champ, Fargo runner-up. Um, you know, Griffith's a guy where after this tournament, a lot of people are saying, hey, look, he's ready to go. He's ready to go. And maybe he is, but he's had some head scratchers this season as well. Again, it goes back to the inconsistency of freshmen. Um, I don't think you pull Griffith at this point, especially not with how deep this weight is. To me, if I'm Stanford, I don't pull Griffith. 
I'm thinking seriously about pulling Real Woods, but Griffith, I think you keep him in red shirt. What do you What, what do you think? I think so too, and we really kind of just glazed over 57 because it wasn't as intriguing as some of the other weights. Mandarino, uh, yeah, Mandarino and uh, Fox. Uh, Paul Fox is a returning All-American from two seasons ago. Um, I believe he's beaten him earlier in the year. Mandarino did. And so he's been wrestling 65 a bunch this year. So you have a solid guy in there at 65, although probably undersized a bit. Um, I don't think you have like the huge need or the necessity to bring Griffith out. If uh, I don't think you have to do it. No, and I mean, man, Griffith beat Chandler Rogers too, right? I think that may Yeah. Be. Is it an injury default? Yeah, but he was up like 6-1 to yeah. one when it happened, right? Yeah. I mean, good tournament by him. Um, ultimately finishing third, beating uh, Delavecchia from Ryder you know, for third and fourth. I still think you keep him in red shirt. Um, let's talk about Chance Marsteller right now. What are your thoughts about his chances to win a title come March based on what you saw from him this weekend? I think he has a good shot. Um, you know, we talked about him being in that upper echelon, the top four of those 65-pounders. Um, you know, I, I worry he doesn't have kind of the dynamic offensive skill set that the Wicks and even Joseph has. But, you know, he is a grinder. Like, Ben called him a bull. You know, he's a tough guy, so he's going to be in the... It doesn't matter who he wrestles, uh, those top three, top ten guys. They're going to be close matches. They're going to be fist fights. They're going to be, you know, one-point bouts. So, you know, they could swing in his favor. You know, one thing about Marsteller's tournament is he really didn't have an easy path to the finals either. Um, he met up with Mason Manville from Penn State in the quarterfinals. Look, yeah. Manville may not be the starter for Penn State at 165, but this is a guy that's had success at every level he's ever wrestled at. Um, Marsteller was able to get by him 4-2 to two before he meets up with Rodgers. He beats Rodgers 3-1, to one, eventually meeting up with Joseph in the finals. Ben... This was a great finals match, and you had some very good technical breakdowns and some of some things that, that both Joseph and Marsteller did very well. Can you kind of talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I think before we get, in, get into that, we at least me, and, and, and you didn't disagree when we talked about, hey, who was, who was Joseph's toughest match when we talked about that on the last podcast. You picked Marinelli, rightfully so, and hell, even more now after that Midlands tournament. And I picked Marsteller, and you were like, hey, that's a really good pick. Um to, for somebody that we thought could beat Joseph. Now, Joseph, he gets a ton of respect on this podcast. And he might not get a, res a lot of respect nationally, but we certainly um, b believe that he's the number one guy in the country right now. I think he gets respect. I just think he gets overlooked by all those other right. big-time stars in that lineup. I mean, Jason Nolf, Bo Nichols, Zane Rutherford in years past. Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously, Nick Lee's on the yeah. come up, and now you got Anthony Kassar, you know, Kassar, Shakur Rashid. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got yeah, an yeah. amazing team. But potential Joseph is just a consummate wrestler. Now, Chance Marsteller did do some things that I thought that, you know, show me he's got some. He's got a chance to beat him. One is he scored on Vincenzo the same exact way that Imar did, where he banged in a lefty underhook into Vincenzo's right arm and then threw it by. Okay, like a hard shuck, almost like where you end up going hip to hip. Shuck, and then instead of attacking the near leg, which, if you know, like we all said, you attack the near leg, that's when the scramble starts. He attacked the far leg almost like an ankle pick, slid that left arm down, 
finished with a double leg, and then he almost had it one more time. That was a great way to finish on Vincenzo Joseph because it's a quick finish. And then he, the thing is, he couldn't get his lefty high crotch working uh, because Vincenzo um, controlled the underhook on that side. So when you know, if you have an underhook, if you're not hitting a carry, trying to hit a high crotch is hard because you really got to clear that arm. Um, but I thought that that was that was excellent. The thing that I think was 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 most telling is that when Vincenzo needed to score, he did. Both times. When Vincenzo needed to take down, he scored both times. I almost think that if Vincenzo was a little more offensive, he could have scored more. Um, th- that said, I give Marsteller a chance to beat Vincenzo, but this match didn't make me think any more of Chance having a chance to beat Vincenzo than I did before. I still think that he's got a shot, but Vincenzo, I, I, I think Vincenzo could actually make this match even wider of a gap, to be honest with you, after watching it. marsteller has got a... W- an ability to score on him via that underhook, but you know, and, and the same way Mymar did. But the problem is, you get that underhook on Vincenzo. You get one, Vincenzo gets a little uncomfortable. Correct. You get two, Vincenzo starts to feel real comfortable. He starts to try to drag you up into those double overs. Yeah, but you, I agree with you, and I think that's a great breakdown right there. But if I'm a guy, if I'm an athlete who's watched Vincenzo Joseph compete the last two years, I am very, very apprehensive about getting. Any underhook on Vincenzo, even one, huh? Even one, I am, I am. Okay. So, because I've seen what he does when he gets two. All right, so I give, <laughs> yeah. I give him one. I've given him one overhook. That means he's only got to fight for one more. I make one mistake. Now I'm in double overs, and we see how that ends out for people. So for Marcelo to do that, anybody was wondering, absolutely, it's it very badly. If anybody was wondering, um, it typically ends with you on your back and Joseph getting it, his hand it raised. It typically ends with an inside trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for Marsteller to do that for me, it shows one took a lot of confidence, took a lot of balls. But you're right, he, the first underhook he got, the way he attacked and executed, perfect. Um, I think these are guys that when they wrestle, it's going to be very similar to this. Yeah, yeah. And I would go out on a limb and say, for Marsteller to win this match, even though it wasn't a difference maker in this match, but for him to win this match, I need Marsteller to get. The first takedown, okay, and an early takedown, and then continue to keep pressing, and maybe Vincenzo. an end period type takedown. Correct. Yeah. Yes, and then continue to keep uh, pressing. Now, Vincenzo got the first takedown in this match. Marsteller was able to escape quickly. Right. All right. Second period started. Marsteller got out. Was able to get a takedown. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. it's kind of an even match at that right. point. But I need Marsteller to get the first takedown or. Like you said, a takedown at the end of the first period. That way, you've got that advantage going, but yep. you still got to continue to press. Yeah, I, yeah. Marsteller can win the match, but he's going to have to wrestle a pretty damn good match to do it, right? Um, Earl, we talked about this last week on the podcast, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. Um, out of the top, and, and you can choose whoever you want. Who is the biggest threat to Vincenzo? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Wick, just because he's you know. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Wick, just because uh, you know he is uh, so great on top, he can you know do some different stuff from his feet. Uh, he's just uh, more unorthodox uh, than the rest of the guys. I, I mean, great points there. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen how Vincenzo does underneath a guy that's very, very good yeah, on top good just yet. Um, I picked Marinelli just for the simple fact that Marinelli already beat him. Okay, um, it's not looking like a bad pick after that Midlands. Yeah, I mean, Marinelli had a great Midlands. Um, ben picked Marsteller. I mean, look, Marsteller was in that match all the way to the very end. I think the point you made was that when Joseph needed the takedown, he got the takedown. Right. right. So this is a weight class that probably. 
excite, excites me as one of the most going into March. Yeah, and I, I think that I would I, – I'm pretty sure Vincenzo's going to win it. Isn't that weird to say? But I think he is. I mean, I think we've – I think we people have picked against him the last two years, and he's basically told us to go fly a kite and pound salt. Yeah, how so, many people picked him to beat Imar? <laughs> twice in a row. Oh my god, twice in a row. He beat Imar twice in a row. Twice in a row. I mean, and this dude, and we're like, uh, I don't think you can beat uh, Mason Pengill. I mean, not Mason Pengill. That guy's a thirty-two runner from. <laughs> uh, I was, who was I was, who am I thinking? I don't know. All right, let's get to one seventy-four, guys. This was a great weight class. Mark Hall, David McFadden. Oh, and by the way, there's this new guy we haven't heard about in a while that's come out and made his presence known at this weight class, JoJo Smith. Earl, man, what's up with JoJo? Yeah, I, mean, um, I was, uh, I think Ben kind of alluded to it earlier, just uh, all the different uh, just combinations that Oklahoma State could go with for their lineup. And, uh, you know, it looks like it's kind of falling into place. And, uh, you know, he looks very good. Um, you know, I, I didn't. It didn't surprise me to see him beat McFadden, but the way he did it and just you I'm know, glad he you're was going here. Very decisive, um, you know, beating McFadden, um, the Mark Hall match. You know, it could go the other way. Um, I don't know if I would pick it at this point, but point. Uh, you know, he's going to be a contender at 74, and I didn't necessarily think that that was going to be the case after being away from the mat so long, you know, hopping up a couple weight classes. I wasn't really sure what to expect from him. You know what's going to be a great match at 174 is Miles Amin versus Joe Smith. I think it's going to be a I like fantastic that. match. Here's what was very impressive, in my opinion, about Joe Smith and his match against David McFadden. McFadden, McFadden is a, even though he's going up this year from 165 to 174, he is a strong guy. And he got in deep multiple times on Joe Smith. And Joe Smith fed him the business and oh, flattened him out God. multiple times. There was one point in time when McFadden was in so deep, was transitioning to where he was going to get the leg in the air, and Joe Smith did a fantastic knee block yep. and just flattened McFadden out. On top of that, knee block tight waist. Knee block thing. tight waist, yep. put him down. Just he scored off of defense. McFadden shots. There was another takedown that Joe Joe Smith didn't really take take first shots on McFadden, but there was another takedown sequence where McFadden took a shot and Smith countered it perfectly and scored on him. That was a very very convincing win over an extremely good David McFadden. That was impressive. I think this 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 weight just shows you how good Mark Hall is. You know, I know he he comes off of a win against the Heat of Valencia and then he goes out and he beats. Uh, um, a fine silver, one of them, and then he uh, goes out and beats Joe Smith, an all American, two-time All-American. Um, you know, I know it's a different weight class, but he beats him, and it was close. But he scored when he needed to. Now, you know, I think he got some swipes at the end. Was that right? He got some swipes at the end, so the match was closer than a five-to-one looks like. But he won again, just like Mark Hall playing that goddamn air guitar. That's all he does. He rocks out and he wins. And um, you know, he's going to be there in the end. You know, but 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 okay. So for for Joe Smith, good coming out party for him for this year, right? We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know if it was going to be the Joe Smith of old. So he actually seems healthy, and he seems like he does. A, he's at a pretty good weight. Everybody was talking about how big he was and like, like heavy, like like overweight and not good looking good. Yeah, he's not a physical specimen at one seventy four, but he doesn't look fat. I mean, he looks fine. 
I like him. He he moved well. He moved very well. Um, I think he had knee issues in the past. I didn't see any indication of those knee issues. He's got good offense for Um, a bigger guy. Absolutely. Yeah. God, one of the things he did so well, he had such heavy hands, and the way he was snapping guys, especially, and I'm going to go back to this match against David McFadden. He put McFadden wherever he wanted McFadden to be, by either snaps or moving him. And to me, that was extremely, extremely impressive. Um, you right now, Earl, you've got Joe Smith slotted in at the five spot in your rankings. I think that's a very good spot for him considering he, he's beaten McFadden. Um, I, I don't see how, how you would rank him ahead of Daniel Lewis or Miles Amin at this point. Um, I mean, I mean, obviously you wouldn't rake him ahead of Amin. Amin just took his first loss, though, last night against the Heed. So I think that's a great spot to have for him. I mean, Earl Smith makes the best rankings out there. Best rankings in the biz. They're pretty good. TheOpenMat.com. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it, Ben. Um, what about the finals match, him, him and Hall? Talk to me, Ben. What did you see in that match? That, you know, I, did, I did you see. Any, yep, did you I, see anything you that right made now. you think that Joe Smith has a chance? To Absolutely. Talk Joe to Smith was in on double legs twice. Mark Hall just got really good hips, right? I mean, Mark Hall similar to when he fed Zahid the hips. Mark Hall's got really good hips. Joe Smith was actually earlier in the match in on more shots than Mark Hall was. Not a surprise, I guess, because Mark Hall's more of a counter. That's how Mark Hall wrestles, right? Uh, Mark Hall was able to counter him eventually and score. But Joe Smith, if he makes one little. Um, transition or one little uh, change and maybe finishes one of those shots, it's a different match. Joe Smith definitely has the offense to go with Mark Hall. Joe Smith actually has the offense to go with anybody in this weight class, including Zahid Valencia, offensively. Um, Would I favor him to beat any of those guys? No. Um, Would I actually be kind of surprised if he beat one of them? Yeah, but not shocked. All right. Um, Let's go to 184. Um, Probably won't spend a lot of time on this weight class. Look, uh, I think Shakur Rashid continues to impress, continues just to get better and better. Um, I think he is a legit titleist contender at this weight class. I'd love to get your guys' opinion on that. Earl, what do you think? Yeah, and I was disappointed we really didn't get to see him hit one of the you know top-notch guys here. Zavatsky didn't, uh, didn't enter, and then uh, you had uh, you know Jacoby Smith. I don't know if you call him... You know, a top-level guy here, but he he loses in the fin- uh, the quarterfinals to Hunter Bolin, the red-shirting kid from Virginia Tech, and then you had uh, Louis Dupre, uh, the freshman from Binghamton. I wanted to see how those guys would match up, and it didn't end up working out. Um, I was kind of surprised how the the finals played out. Um, Rashid wasn't that active; he couldn't couldn't really. Uh, get past Bolin's defense, though Bolin wasn't very offensive or offensive at all himself. So I'm going to give Jacoby Smith a pass on this tournament. I'm going to give him a pass, okay, because here's a guy that's been at 174 all year. Okay, this was his first action up at 184. I think uh, the writing is on the wall. Joe Smith is going to be the 74-pounder. Jacoby Smith is going to be the 84-pounder. I don't think there's And Greer is going to be the 90. And and Dakota Gear is going to be the the 97-pounder. Um so I'm going to give him a pass. I, I I think it's it's a little concerning to see him lose to Hunter Bolin three to one. But Hunter Bolin um, was a very good freshman last year. I think he's in red. He's obviously in red shirt this year. Um, he was a qualifier last year, I think. Right? 
Yeah. Um, and then in his match against Louis Dupre, I mean, Louis just shut him down. Okay. There, no argument who was the better wrestler in that match. But I'm going to give, again, give Jacoby a pass at this tournament. Um, I, I want to see how he continues to do getting up to that weight class. I think he's going to have some struggles. He's going to have some struggles because he's a guy that's been used to being 174. Now he's going up 10 pounds. Um, but again, Shakur Rashid, man. This his, guy continues to do nothing but win and win big. His semifinals match against Colbray was so much fun. I mean, it ended in 45 seconds, but it was just a scramble. Best 45 scram- seconds of your life, Best right? 45 seconds of my life. Scramble, 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 cradle, pen. I tell you what, I think that he's got a shot against Mymar. I think that Mymar is heavily favored, but I think if anybody can beat Mymar, it's somebody like him. They talked can, about yeah, this. He can... He can he can match his athleticism, and technically, he does some funky stuff. So Mymar does some funky stuff, too, but he's more basic in his technique. And by ba- and basic, it's not solid. bad. We'll call yeah, it solid. Yeah, yeah, solid. It's not bad, right? I mean, I'm talk- when I'm saying basic, I mean he's got great shots. He can ride well. He gets out on anybody, you know. Um, but Rashid is a home run hitter, and he has funky stuff, and it all takes is one. And he's got good offense. He's oh, got excellent. good offense on his feet, excellent. and that's why when we had and they that, always end up in a cradle. And that's why when we had that conversation, I said that's why I said Shakur Rashid is the biggest threat to Mymar in this weight class. Okay, because of the fact. No, I know he doesn't agree. Yeah, we want to talk about that later. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. Um, but because of the fact that Rashid's got good offense on his feet, and he will cradle you from anywhere on the mat, and when you have that type of ability, you're a threat to anyone. Let me tell you right now, uh, uh, Shakur Rashid ain't cradling me. Because you're not going to wrestle him. No, I'd wrestle him right now. No, I right. bet you he could not cradle me in a minute. I would take that bet all day, and I don't even bet. He could cradle me probably 10 times in a minute. All right. Let's get to 197. Um, there is nothing to talk about this weight class other than the fact that Bo Nickel base oh, pinned his way through, got his 100th victory. 50 of those 100 victories are by fall. Bo Nickel is the man. Three scuffle titles, three different weights. That's we, impressive. We salute you, Bo Nickel. Yeah. Look, I don't like you. I don't like you and your stupid hair. Oh, he's got gray hair. And I don't like that you're stupid hair. and tall and gangly. And good looking. You're good at wrestling. And good at wrestling. You stole my girlfriend. But I don't like you, but you're good at wrestling. We do like Bo Nickel. He's You know, he's another guy. He's hella fun like, to watch wrestling. And that's the thing. Me and Ben talk about this ad nauseum. Like, it, these guys, like Nolf and Nickel, God, people appreciate what you're seeing because these guys don't come along very often. Bo Nichols been so much fun to watch, and I don't think there's anybody in the country that is going to challenge him at 197 pounds. You know, and I, I think one other thing that probably we should mention is Nathan Traxler had a pretty damn good tournament too. Um, you know, he beat Dakota Gear, who's been on fire. Um, uh, Nathan Traxler, I think, is a sophomore from Stanford, uh, and uh, you know, he, he had a really good tournament. He lost to Bo Nickel eight to one. Um, which you know actually is probably a win for most people. So uh, good, good tournament by him. Dakota Gears had a great season up to the point when he went up to 197. He's taken a couple of losses now, I believe, at 197. Um, just like Jacoby Smith, it takes some time to get acclimated. Um, if Weagle is out for the year, I think that's a big hit for Oklahoma State. It'll be really interesting to see how Dakota Gear um, fills in at this weight class and adjusts come obviously march time or what are your thoughts you think you think dakota gears a, a podium contender at 197 i think so just because as we were talking about earlier the weight class is kind of a mess so 
you know, after your top three guys there at 97, um, you know, there's going to be a bunch of guys who are filling out, you know, fill out the back half of the podium. So I don't see why it can't be him. Gotcha. Love it. All right, guys, let's wrap up the scuffle with 285 pounds. Um, we saw Casser, top seed Casser, who's been having a hell of a season for Penn State, looking like a finalist contender, a title contender. Everybody's excited to see the match between him and Gable Stevenson, both big, strong, powerful, athletic guys. Um, he made it to the finals, but he lost to Derek White 3-2 to two from Oklahoma State. Derek White also beat Casser's teammate, two-time All-American Nick Nevels, in the semifinals 4 to nothing. Um what does this do? What what does this do to your opinion of Casser at this point in the season? Well, first I'd like to say good on Derek White for a hell of a tournament. Beating Absolutely, the, beating the two-time All-American in the semis. Now White was around a twelve guy last year, didn't All-American. He's the guy that was a former ninety-seven pounder who actually, I'm not sure he even was a starter. You know, or you know, he kind of he, he wasn't anything to write home about at ninety-seven. Bumps up, looking really good at heavyweight. Ate a lot of protein, lifted a lot of weights. He did something, and um, now he's he's jacked. And uh, um, he's up, and, and he beats uh, Kassar, who, you know, people already, I, me included, said, hey, he's, Kassar's the, the number one threat to Gable. And uh, he looked great. Kassar ran into a guy who was equally probably as athletic. And, and strong yeah, as him. And, and just as strong as him. And because uh, White's not, obviously not a huge heavyweight either. And White was able to get the deciding takedown. Um, it doesn't, again... Just because you take a loss doesn't mean that I, you know, I, it doesn't mean much to me in terms of, okay, Kassar could win that next time. Now, White did tend to dominate the positions a little bit more than uh, over Kassar, but I still think Kassar can make the finals, and I still think Kassar could maybe beat Gable Stevenson. But I have a little less, I have more doubt in my mind now that Kassar could do that because we saw what Gable did to Derek White. Now, De- Gable t- scored early on Derek White. I think he scored and scored some back points early on him and then ended up winning it didn't score a ton afterwards. Um, you know, and we're not going transitive here, but if you went transitive, that would mean Kassar had no chance. But, uh, you know, I, I think it says more about Derek White and his ability to maybe be a finalist, right? Uh, heavyweight's so wide open this year, let's face it. I, I Again, I will, I will argue anyone that Gable Stevenson is the clear number one guy in this weight class, regardless of what any rankings publication says. And anyone that wants to disagree with that, you have no, you have no basis for your argument, in my opinion. Um, after that, though, it's so wide open. It's so wide open. Bracketing, good days, bad days, is going to play such a big role in who that other finalist guy is. My question for you guys, and this is how we'll wrap up this weight class. Kassar finishes second. Nick Neville's finishes third. They both lose to Derek White. Kassar's got the win against Neville's early in the season. He's been the starter up until now. Have we seen the end of Nick Neville's as a starter for Penn State? Is his career as a starter over? I mean, I don't see how you can bump Kassar out of the lineup at this point. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, unfortunately, you don't like to see that for a two-time All-American in his senior year, but... I think Kassar has really established himself as the guy for Penn State, and you you have to go forward with him. Ben, Kassar's the better wrestler. I mean, it's not. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, uh, Nick Nevels has served his team very well. He's done a great job. He's a good traditional heavyweight. The thing is, we're seeing a lot of non-traditional heavyweights having success lately. 
the Jacob Caspers of the world, the Kyle Snyders of the world, the lighter guys that are having success. You know, it's almost like, hey, get with it, get get busy living or get busy dying. You know, Neville's great. Same with Stam Stoll. You know, pushing. You know, uh, keeping the control of the mat, um, dominating, hoping to win matches close. These new heavyweights like Asar, they're shooting double legs. They're trying to score as many takedowns as they can. Not only is it more exciting, but I think that it's a style that a lot of these lighter guys are starting to say works, even against these bigger guys. Kassar's done it. He's clearly, in my opinion, the superior wrestler to, excuse me, superior wrestler to Neville's. And there's no way in my mind, absent Kassar getting injured, that he doesn't have that spot. I agree with both of you guys. I absolutely agree with both of you guys. Um Neville's two-time All-American. He's had a great career. He's accomplished more than the majority of all college wrestlers could ever say they accomplished. Um, but you're absolutely right, in my opinion, that Kassar is the guy. Um, and I don't think a close 3-2 to two loss against Derek White is going to change that at all. All right, guys. This podcast is running long as it is. That's okay because we're having a fantastic time. Let's do a quick transition real quick to tonight's big matchup between the Ohio State Buckeyes, North Carolina State Wolfpack. All... Ben's dancing. We're excited. We're going to be up there. Me, Ben, Earl, my son Dominic, Earl's photographer that he brought along with him for the open match. <laughs> um, it's going to be a great time. Really, all I want to do is talk about four matches. Let's just talk about four matches real quick. Great. We got some great matchups at 133 pounds, 149, 157, 184. All right. 133, a rematch of last year's NCAA's match for third and fourth, Pletcher Tariq Wilson. Who you got, Earl? I've got to go with Pletcher. Um, you know, hey, yeah. We knew Earl was an Ohio State fan. Yep, uh, and I, <laughs> I think by these matches we're going to break down. You'd probably think I was. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, ben, who you got? So, uh, so everybody remembers Tariq for beating Pletcher by major and third and fourth place match, and that was when Pletcher, because for team points, you know, was going went, went for a throw. Right. Because remember, you know, right. um, Tariq would have won that match. Remember, a couple weeks before that, in the last duel of the season, Pletcher owned Good Tariq. Point. So um, they're one and one against each other. Both matches were competitive. I will call them both competitive. Um, love Tariq. I think on the home court, Pletcher gets done tonight. I like it. I like it. Um, you, my I'm going to take Pletcher as well. Listen, I think Tariq had an amazing run at the national tournament last year. Take nothing away from him. One of the best runs we've seen in a long time from a guy that basically came in um, with not well, the regular season that would not indicate that type of run. Okay? Right. So, awesome. I'm taking Pletcher as well in the home mat. 149 pounds. We've got a matchup of two All-Americans, two top five ranked guys, um, Justin Oliver, Micah Jordan. Earl, who you got? Um, I got Jordan. I, they met two years ago. Um, Cliff Keen, as well as I think the Eastern Michigan Open. Um, Jordan majored him at uh, Eastern Michigan, and then they closed the gap a little bit at Cliff Keen. It was a regular decision. Um, I'm still eager to see how Oliver is in that new room, probably higher intensity, you know, higher level at uh, NC State if he can uh, close the gap again. But I got to go with Jordan until we see anything different. What do you think, Ben? For all Michael Jordan's faults with his ability to get out on bottom, that guy is still elite on his feet. He'll get he'll get to a couple takedowns. Oliver's fine on top, but I don't think it's gonna the match isn't gonna be decided there. I like it six three six four, uh, Michael Jordan. I got to go, Michael Jordan as well too. We're sounding like homers. That's okay though, uh, Michael Jordan as well. Um, I actually think it's a 
I actually think it's not as close as six three six two. I think Micah Jordan is able to get to his attacks and take him down a lot, in my opinion. Um, I am. I'm going to put my name on it. Um, I think it's close to a major. Micah Jordan on the home mat. All right? That might be homerism right there. Um, all right. Next up, Keyshawn Hayes, 157 against returning national finalist Hayden Hidley. Um, Hidley's had a couple of losses this year already. We talked about that earlier. Didn't have that last year until he made the finals. Um, Earl, who you taking in this match? Uh, I'm going to take Hidley just uh... – I think, is it Hydley? Uh, Am I saying that wrong? Is yeah, it Hydley? Okay, Hydley. My, my apologies. Uh, he he uh, went 4-0 at the South Beach Duels. Was kind of, you know, granted he wasn't facing top competition, but he was a little more dominating there. So uh, I'm going to have to go with him um, maybe by three points. Ben? Yeah, I like I like, I like Hidley, not Hydley. But I like, yeah, either one of them. I, you know, I like him over Keyshawn Hayes. I think Keyshawn Hayes is still going to be there in the end to potentially get on the podium. But uh, Hidley's a full-size 157-pounder. And uh, I think even his skills being even. So I think I think Hidley's actually a slightly better wrestler than than Hayes. And that's without the weight class issue. And then now that you have the weight class issue, I like it more of like an 8-4 to four type match. You know, something that's not close, something that's pretty dominating. Um, but not like a major, you know. So that's where I'm at with that. What about you? He wants to pick Keyshawn. So here's the deal. Um, Keyshawn Hayes has two losses on the year, okay? I don't have him on my fantasy team. He's got two losses on the year. Both were at Cliff Keen. The head scratcher was the 2-1 to one to Eric Barone from, from Illinois, okay? But, but, but Barone's having a decent year. Um, his other loss was a 6-3 loss to Tyler Berger, who is one of the best guys in that weight class. Um, since that time, he has majored Van Brill. He beat Romani from Pittsburgh. And he also absolutely demolished Mandarino from Stanford, who just had a pretty good Southern scuffle as well. Yeah, he, uh, he beat Mandarino 18-1, to okay? So, Keyshawn Hayes, outside... Of the Eric Brown match, I think, has done everything you'd want him to do at 157 pounds, okay? Where I get concerned about in this match is I think Keyshawn Hayes' best chances to score points is in two positions. One on top, okay, and two off of his opponent's shots. I'm not sure if Hydley, Hidley, however you want to call it, is going to take the types of shots where Keyshawn Hayes can beat him in short offense situations on those go-behinds. However... I also don't think that Keyshawn Hayes, who likes to wrestle from distance, is going to let Heidley get to his underhooks. I think this is going to be a close match. I think it's going to come down to riding time or a takedown. And I'm going to pick against you guys just so we're not all the same. I'm going to pick Keyshawn Hayes. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay? Just because I don't want to pick you guys, pick the same as you guys. Um, all right, the last big match of the night. To me, this is going to be an exciting match. Earl, you've told me you think this is the potential finals match is 184 pounds. Miles Martin, Nick Renan. Miles Martin, multiple-time All-American, national champ. Nick Renan had the amazing, amazing run this this summer on his way up to Final X against David Taylor. He's having a great start to his season. Who are you taking in this match? Well, I'm taking Mymar, but, uh, again, that's I do think it's a potential NCAA Finals matchup. Um, I was kind of met with crickets when I said this uh, yesterday. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Renan, uh, he's uh, – I, I feel like he's kind of a – Bo Nickelish, um, you know he's not quite Bo both Nickel. from Texas. Yeah, both, both were down from Texas. Texas. You know that they can kind of do some of the same things. Um, we've seen how 
that match has played out before. Um, so I'm picking Mymar, but you know I, I think uh, very highly of Reen, and, and yes, he is on my fantasy team. <laughs> Thank you, Earl, for caveating the fantasy thing. Um, no, it's Mymar all day, right? Uh, Renan is excellent. I I think that Shakur obviously is the is, is the the finalist person bes- uh, beside Mymar, but I think that Renan can make some noise. I'm just not sure he's going to be able to keep up with that pace on his feet with Mymar. And Mymar, if he gets a takedown with 35, 40 seconds left and he decides that he wants to ride, he can do that and he can hold you down. If he decides he wants to cut you and get another takedown, he can do that as well. I think that he will have his cake and eat it too against Nick Renan. And I think I think it's going to be something about mm, 8, 10, or 9. One of those scores, 2, 4, or 3. I don't see it being very close. Okay, you don't see it being very close. I, I don't. I, I I don't see a major, but I, I don't you see. Said, it. Oh, but you're talking about eight to nine points. Yeah, my moral score eight to nine gotcha. points to to Renan's okay. three to three. Um, you would be, we would be stupid to pick against Miles Martin. Miles Martin again is so underappreciated for the career that he's had. Nick Renan. Amen. Yeah, Nick, Amen to that. Nick Renan's having a very good season. He's got two very good signature wins. He beat Ryan Preach earlier in the season, four to one. Great win there. He recently beat Taylor Vins eight to six. Very good win there for him as well. With that said, Nick Renan has a lot of close matches against guys that you would consider subpar to his level. Um, recently, he had an eight to five decision over uh, Carlos Looney from Wyoming. Looney's eleven and seventeen. All right, I would expect a titleist, a, a, a finalist contender to beat a guy like Looney more than eight to five. He's had close matches with, um, um, oh God, who else? Uh, Antonio Gee. All right, Antonio Gee only put up three points on a Gee, won the match, prevented a Gee from scoring. With that said, you're gonna have to score a lot more points than that to beat a guy like Miles Martin, unless you can catch him on his back. And I don't think the way Miles Martin wrestles, the type of wrestler he is, the level he's at, that we're going to see that. I think Miles Martin is head and shoulders above the rest of the field at 84. I'm picking Miles Martin. I think Miles Martin is another treat that everybody should enjoy watching. Absolutely. You're 100% right. He, um, you know, he's, he, he's not as good as Nolfe and Nickel. Okay, we know that. But I tell you what, he's real fun to watch, guys. So people out there, enjoy what you're seeing with Miles Martin. Hopefully he gets those bookends. Um yeah, this is going to be an excellent duel because, you know, I know we only wanted to focus on four matches, but I think the duel is going to be competitive. The duel is going to be great. You've got four really great matches to really focus on, but there's going to be some other intrigue out there. Um, Colin Moore against a very big Malik McDonald at 197. Yeah. I think Malik McDonald has actually uh, wrestled heavyweight in, in the past a bit. I think they now, call him Malik McDonald. I will tell you right now. Malik McDonald did not do well at the, at the South Beach Duels. I think he lost three out of four matches. Yeah. Okay, did not do well at all. Um, but you got the Bullard brothers for NCAA, or NC State. Those guys were big-time recruits. Is Caleb Romero going to wrestle? Is it going to be Shane Who's Campbell? at 71? Yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, it's going to be a great time. We're going to be there to see it. All right. Listen, we're two hours and 36 minutes into this podcast. I love it. For anyone, that's still listening, style, baby. for anyone that's still listening, we apologize for the length. We just had so much to talk about. We were so excited to have Earl Smith join us today. I um, want to thank everyone for listening. Earl, thanks for joining us. Hey, man, this is your first year as the editor of the openmat.com's website. You're doing a fantastic job. 
Keep up the great work. For anyone out there that is not a subscriber to The Open Mat, go out there and subscribe to the premium content. It's one of the few websites that actually puts out written content about men's Division One, Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, women's wrestling, international, senior, age group level, high school, everything across the board. So you're basically $25, what, for two-year membership? I think that's what it is, right? Oh, $39.99 for a two-year membership is worth every penny of it. Go out there, subscribe to it, read the content. They're doing a great job I'm, out there. I'm telling you, and not just because Earl's here, because before Earl even took over, I was telling you that last year. Alex Steen did, yeah, did a great job last the year. The Open Mat is the best wrestling website for content. For written publication. It really is. And it is so cheap. It is so cheap. $39.99 gets you everything you need. In terms of written publications. Look, you know, instead of reading the newspaper in the morning, why don't you read the open mat? Because that's what I do. And we are blessed to have Earl here to break down things. I was really excited to listen to him talk about his how he ranks things. Because it's great to hear the rankers actually explain themselves. So, shout out to Earl. Earl, please tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of uh, what's going on there at the open mat. And uh, thank you guys for the kind words and the hospitality uh, here in Dayton. I'm excited to uh, have my first trip to Ohio State. Um, but, yeah, we're, uh, we're just uh, chugging along the rest of the season, regular season. Um, you know, tomorrow we're going to have high school wrestler of the week, college wrestler of the week, top ten performances. Uh, we'll have breakdowns of the Virginia duels coming up next week because, you know, I love Virginia, um, as well as duel of the week. And uh, Hey, don't forget about that. Women's College Wrestling Wrestler of the Month for December that just went out there. Congrats, by the way, to Alieda Martinez from Menlo. Very good. Had to put that plug in there. uh, That's Brandon's brainchild. (laughs) He's been uh, a great asset for the women's coverage. So, uh, you know, we got a lot of stuff. I I always have just kind of random articles I like to throw out there as well, like I talked about earlier, the heavyweight renaissance. So there's uh, all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, as Ben mentioned. So, yeah, check it out. And uh, please do subscribe. Love it. All right, guys. That's all we got for you. Sorry about the long podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to it just as much as we enjoyed talking about everything. Second half of the season is in swing now. It's dual season. Big 10 dual season is exciting. Big 10 weekend. (laughs) That's all we got for you. Don't wind up on your back, bro.